Dave, how many how many pro fights have you been in? Um, had four pro fights, and I had eleven amateur fights. But you were fighting back in the day when nobody knew what it was, right? I mean, this is what early nineties. Yeah. So my very first fight was in ninety seven. Yeah. So the UFC, the first UFC, came out in December of ninety three. Okay. So uh, it, it was very new. Nobody knew what it was. Um, and my very first uh, fight was in Paragould, Arkansas. <laughs> that little last town? <laughs> yeah. Well, because back then, uh, so you have to to look back, you know, what had happened back in those days. When the UFC first came out and mixed martial arts first came out, it was called No Holds Barred back then, right? Yeah. Mixed martial arts wasn't even a term back then. Um, a lot of states came out and banned it. And said, okay, we're not going to have this in our state. It was considered to be illegal prize fighting, right? Mm. Because it wasn't regulated. There was no regulation for it. Like these athletic commissions, they regulated boxing, right? And really what regulation is to the government entity, it's supposed to be for protecting the fighters. But for a lot of these government entities, it's it's a cash grab. This is a oh, way 100%. we can make money. So if you have these events going on that aren't sanctioned, that don't have rules and, and people involved and people getting paid on that, then they're not going to sanction them. Right. So anyway, long story short, back in the day, uh, if you were to fight, you had to fight uh, in sort of an underground event, which this was. So my first fight was in a rodeo barn in Paragol, Arkansas. Sure was in a boxing ring. Yeah. So (laughs) that's funny as shit, because I remember Anthony Manis telling me one day he had to go as ISKA official to a fight. And he said, no shit. The ground was dirt. It was in a fucking. Well, he didn't swear. He's like, it was in a. It was in a barn. Yeah. I was yeah. Like, Are you serious? I was like, how long ago was this? He's like, maybe th- three years ago. This was probably like five years ago now uh-huh. total. Yep. I was like, Are you serious? They still do them like that? He's like, Yeah. I walked in. I'm thinking I'm gonna walk into this old vintage barn, and you look into it, and it's gonna be like a nice, like little gymnasium or something. Right. No. It wasn't that. <laughs> it wasn't that. I forget where he told me where it was, but I was like, holy shit. He's like, I can't. He's just like, then they had to start making some rule, more rules about it and stuff like that. But dude, I was insane when he told me that, how recent that was. Well, you know, back then it was out of necessity, right? Mm-hmm. I, that, that sounds to me like it's a choice. <laughs> but back 100%. then it was out of necessity. So yeah, my first amateur fight in 97 was in a, a horse barn. And, uh, and then my second, third, fourth, and fifth ones were in a little uh, private um, private club in Paragol, right? So it was a dry county, but they had like a private club. You have a membership, whatever. And uh, I fought inside that called Time Out Sports Bar. <laughs> a guy named Max Bishop was a promoter. He promoted that over there. And Max knew everybody, knew the police and the sheriff and all that kind of stuff. And so it wasn't a big deal. You know, they weren't going to come like bust us for illegal prize fighting. So that's that. That's how I started my fighting career was in Paragol, Arkansas. So were you always into martial arts? Uh, no, actually, uh I guess my story, how I got into it. Yeah. Um, so in high school, I was a big boxing fan. Uh, you know, like everybody back then, this is, you know, in the early nineties, um, I was a huge fan of Mike Tyson mm. and I, and I loved watching Tyson fight and, uh, used to box around a little bit, you know, with some friends and stuff, but no formal training at all. And, uh, but I was always intrigued by boxing and, um, you know, I would learn some from like a, a good friend of mine's grandfather box in the Navy and he tossed a couple of things, you know, so I was very intrigued. So we used to go over to uh, one friend's house back in high school um, because he had the little HBO box that you would have to order the pay-per-views on. Oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> right? I remember that. So he was the only one that had that. And so we'd always go to his house to watch the Tyson fights. Okay. And then after high school, I was, I don't know, 19 or something. And uh, he called me up one day. He was like, hey, man, 
you need to come over and see this event. I watched the first one the other day. Um, and, and there was a second one and third one. This is like the fourth one they've had. I'm inviting everybody. You got to come see this. It's called the UFC ultimate fighting or something. And I was like, what's that? He's like, man, these guys get in a cage and it's anything goes any style. So like wrestlers and judo guys and karate guys, and they all fight each other. And he said, there's this one guy, this little like Mexican guy (laughs) in a bathrobe who's like, (laughs) he's not even like throwing a punch or anything, but it's like some kind of magic. I'm like, magic? What are you talking Like this pro wrestling or something? He's like, no, no, no. This is real. I got to see this for myself. So I went over there and, you know, we all, five or six of us uh, started watching this and it was UFC four. That was the first one I saw. Okay. And that was in 94 and I watched it live and I just remember watching it just I was just in disbelief what I was watching. Yeah. I could not believe what I, what I saw. Cause I always grew up thinking the toughest guy in the world is the heavyweight boxing champ in the world. That's yeah, the toughest guy, 100%. right? There's nobody tougher than that. But then I see this guy, Hoist Gracie. He wasn't Brazil. He wasn't a Mexican. Mexican. Yeah, I was going to say, was he Gracie? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so here he is, didn't even throw a punch and he would like take these guys down and he would control them and he would submit them. And I was like, my whole world was turned upside down at that point. So I was completely intrigued. Yeah. Right. And I remember, you know, leaving his house, just like, man, well, when does this come back on again? I want to see that again. I don't know, man. They did a little announcement or something. I said, well, dude, let me know. Well, <clears throat> about two or three weeks later, I uh, was in Blockbuster and they had just come out with the first UFC in Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was a year <laughs> prior. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I probably... I don't know. I probably racked up a good thousand dollars in late fees <laughs> from, <laughs> from renting that thing again and again. I was so intrigued. I watched it so many times. And uh, then the co- a couple other things came out. And, and uh, you know, I really wanted to learn jujitsu at that point. I really wanted to learn jujitsu, but I didn't know where to find jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is 95, 96, right? And so I remember sitting in my apartment, uh, a buddy of mine, and I had the, the, the white pages and yellow pages out, right? That's how you used to find things back in the day. Man, people have no idea how hard it used to be. Oh, man. So, yeah. Yeah. So I remember sitting on the, the kitchen counter just calling every single martial arts school in Memphis. Hey, do y'all do y'all teach jujitsu? No, but um, we have a taekwondo class you can come to tomorrow. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you teach jujitsu? No, we don't do jujitsu, but we do uh, karate. No, no, thanks. So I called around all these places, and finally I called this one taekwondo place. It was at uh, Covenant Pike and uh, Stage Road. And the guy said, well, no, we d- we don't here, but there's a guy who just started on Saturdays teaching jujitsu. I'm like, really? I'll, I'm there. <laughs> so I showed up and, uh, when, when I went there, it wasn't the jujitsu that I thought, like what I saw hoist doing, yeah. but it was called, uh, uh, Aki jujitsu, which is a form of Aikido, right? Small circle Aikido. And the guy who was teaching a guy named Dr. Alan James was super nice, very cool. And, and I learned some Aikido from him, some Aki jujitsu. And, uh, you know, he was pretty open-minded and I would tell him, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. And he'd say, well, I don't teach that, but I mean, we've got mats here. You're welcome to whatever. And he was real cool about it. Um, but that's not what they were teaching. So I was kind of disheartened a little bit. Like I'm not, I'm never going to find this. I don't even know where to find this. Yeah. I have no clue. And, uh, just so happened a month or two later, I was at Kroger and I was thumbing through like a black belt magazine or something. And I saw this little quarter page advertisement in the magazine for, um, order now your Gracie jujitsu basics VHS series. And it had hoist Gracie on there. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) that's, I, I bought the magazine, went home, cut out the quarter page ad, 
put my check in an envelope, mailed it off to Torrance, California. <laughs> Four VHS tapes for $199. Jesus. And got them back in the mail. And uh, I started practicing off the videotape, the video series in my living room floor. And uh, my roommate at the time, he didn't want to. He was like, man, I don't want to roll around, wrestle on the ground. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So the way I kind of started practicing my techniques a lot. Now, I would, I would watch the technique series, just watch it over and over again. But I needed somebody to practice with. So <laughs> I was 20, 21 at the time. And uh, my brother is four and a half years younger than me. So I would have my brother come over and practice with me. And he didn't like doing it either. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I don't, yeah. Break my arm, man. What are you doing? And uh, so <laughs> what I did was uh, I used to um, convince he and a couple of his buddies to come over to my apartment to let me practice. And I would buy them beer. Oh, deal. <laughs> I would have got my ass kicked by you but for free beer. I mean, 100%. We could do that now if you want. (laughs) (laughs) I brought whiskey. I mean, come on, man. We might do, right? (laughs) Oh, man. So, so yeah, they would, I would get a case of beer and I would like, all right, case of beer, guys. Uh, You got to give me an hour to practice. Okay. Right. And then it turned into kind of fun. A couple of the guys liked it. And my brother still was like, ah, okay. But uh, that's what I did. I would invite them over three or four times a week, buy them beer. No joke to come and practice jujitsu with me on my living room floor. So I did that for a little while. And uh, then I was uh, I was um, uh, working out at a place called Olympic Fitness Center, which was at Riverdale and Shelby Drive. And there was a guy there named Stefan. And when he and I were talking and you know, I brought up something like, hey, have you seen this UFC thing? And I've been starting to do this little jujitsu. He's like, really? He goes, man, at Wimbledon Sportsplex, they're having like this grappling tournament, like in a couple of weeks. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I saw a flyer. I was over there doing something, whatever. I'm there. So I drove over there immediately. I found the flyers on the cork board and it was the battle of Memphis karate tournament, but then they were having their first ever grappling division. Okay. Mm. So I was like, I'm entering this. I'm, I'm going to do it. You know, just see what it's all about. And the guy who was running it was Chad Chilcutt. Oh, so okay. Chad Chilcutt, you know, had Memphis karate and, uh, I entered this tournament and uh, I didn't know what to expect. And they were like, you know, former wrestlers, judo guy, whoever, maybe people like me, they're just kind of discovering jujitsu. And, uh, and I won the tournament. Okay. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember I did the goofiest stuff, but, uh, but just from learning those basics on that video series, I had enough skill from just jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu learned off the video series to win the tournament. And when I won, Chad, I remember came up to us like, Hey man, where do you train? What, you know, where'd you learn all this? I said, a video series He's like, really? We have a video. We have the same video series. Me and like three guys, we, we roll out the VHS and the TV and we practice on some red puffy mats upstairs. Join us Tuesday. I'm like, I'm there. So that's how I started. Wow. That yeah. is awesome, man. Yep. That is an insane story right there, man. Yep. So it's, did you, you did fight in the UFC? No, I never fought in the UFC. Oh, okay, okay, no, okay. No. I fought in uh, some different professional promotions. Uh, one of my pro fights was actually talking about um, how a lot of uh, the events in the early days were unsanctioned. Yeah. So uh, my second professional fight was actually on an Indian reservation mm. in uh, Newtown, North Dakota. I took a train up there to Newtown, North Dakota, because, you know, on any reservation, they're their own nation. They're not subject to the same rules yeah. and regulations. And so, yeah, that and then uh, one of my pro fights was in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. I lived in Europe for a while. Oh, wow. fought over there and stuff. Yeah. yeah. What were you doing in Europe? We were just trying to fight professionally out there or were you, there's another reason you were out there. That's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, uh, the way I ended up in Europe, this 2002, at that point, I'd had pro fights and I'd um, I was a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu at that time. Um, I got my purple belt, blue belt, and purple belt from Hoist 
himself. Nice. And uh, so I became kind of close with Hoist, got to know Hoist really, really well. And uh, one day I got a phone call actually from Chad because I was teaching for Chad at the time. I was teaching jujitsu. And he goes, hey, Dave, uh, you know, Hoist uh, wants to call you and talk to you about some opportunity or what. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so Hoist called me and he was like, hey, Dave, this is Hoist. <laughs> Listen, you know, I do seminars, you know, all over the world. And uh, I was doing a seminar in Copenhagen, Denmark. And the guy's very nice out there. He has a Muay Thai kickboxing gym. And he's looking for a guy to come from America, somebody that I would recommend to come over there and teach jujitsu because his gym in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark was only a Muay Thai gym. They didn't have any grappling or jujitsu. And actually, you know, this is 2002. So jujitsu is starting to spread a little bit. Yeah. But in Europe, it's still far behind. Mm. Right. Muay Thai, kickboxing and boxing was the big thing in Europe. And to some extent, judo also, but Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and like wrestling wasn't really big then. And uh, so Hoist is like, you know, uh, he wants somebody to come live over there and like be part of the gym and somebody who's a fighter also yeah. um, who wants to learn Muay Thai. And, and, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and and already I knew some Muay Thai and I had been kickboxing quite a bit then with, with Jeff Mullen. I don't know if you remember Jeff Mullen. Yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah, I used to go over to Jeff Mullen's school also and, and get my mitt work in and kickbox and spar and stuff like that. So I already had some of, of that, but not from a world-class facility like this in Copenhagen. And so... Uh, the guy who owns the gym in Copenhagen um, has put out like uh, K1 champions, fighters that go to Thailand, even to this day and fight. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So really high level Muay Thai gym. And so, of course, when Hoist asked me that, I was like, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> Absolutely. Damn. So I put my whole life on hold. Um, I had a semester left in college to graduate college, put that on hold. Um, and, you know, and I remember like, um, you know, I had like two weeks to kind of get my life together and all this and figure out and then move my whole life to Copenhagen. And I thought I was going to live there for the rest of my life. I was like, okay, I'm just going to move over there. And that's, that's, that's it, you know, but, uh, but you know, I thought better. I said, well, I'll give it six months. Mm-hmm. I'll commit to six months to see how it is. Right. Um, because the guy wanted me to live there forever. Like, Hey, come on over. You know, we need a coach like long-term. And I said, well, look, I'll come over for six months. Let's see how it goes. And then we'll see what happens after that. Okay, cool. So uh, they got me a plane ticket and I uh, flew over there with two big suitcases and there I lived. Your friends and family are probably like, what the fuck is Mortai? And what are you doing, Dave? <laughs> oh, I can tell you this. My father, my father was like, get your college degree first, you <laughs> idiot. You're a, you're, a, you're a semester away from graduating. What if you go over there and get your brains knocked in and then you can't, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, it is what it is. You know, um, I didn't want to pass up that opportunity, you know, because I, I wanted to take my I was taking my fighting career very serious at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my dream at that time was to go fight in pride. I wanted to fight in Japan, oh, you okay. know, so that was a good way for me to to I had a better opportunity to fight in Japan coming out of Europe than I would have had coming out of the United States because mm. they were taking a lot of the European fighters at that time and Prague and um, especially like uh, some Russian fighters and stuff uh, were, were going into Prague from some Russian promotions. So um, which I had an opportunity to fight in a Russian promotion over there, which that's a whole other story why I didn't get a chance to. But um, but yeah, that's that's how I ended up over in Copenhagen, Denmark was because of Hoist, actually. That's How trippy awesome. is that to go from watching a guy on a tape to him calling you on the phone to say, go do this thing for me? Uh, man, to this day, he's my hero, man, to this day. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, uh, Hoist, I'll, I'll tell you this. The first time I ever met Hoist was uh, Chad brought him in for a seminar. This is probably a year after I'd started doing jiu-jitsu with Chad. 
and he brought Hoist in to do a seminar. And I remember like the first time I saw Hoist, I was like, oh my gosh, there, there he is. There's yeah. the guy, yeah. the guy, you know, which I'd watch his fights just hundreds of times. Right. And, uh, so, you know, a guy like that, um, it was something you're so intrigued with and so into, I mean, you're going to listen to anything he has to say. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I could be any more impressed with him, but I became more impressed with him after that first time I met him. And I'll tell you why we had probably 50 or 60 people in the seminar. Right. And, uh, so the very first seminar, he introduced himself. Hello, my name is Hoist. I'm very happy to be here. You know, Hey, before we get started, we're going to get in a big circle. We're going to kind of go through some stretches. And when you're stretching, I'm gonna come around and I'm just going to get to, to know who you are. Okay, cool. So he went around to like all 50 people. Hello, my name is Hoist. He'd shake your hand. Oh, Hey, my name's Dave. Nice to meet you, Dave. We're going to have a fun today. Okay. Hello, Bob, <laughs> or whatever. You know, yeah. he went around to everybody, right? Yeah. So then he would show the first technique. Okay, guys, here's the technique. Ba, 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 ba. Break off with a partner and y'all uh, practice it. And then you'd start practicing the technique and he would walk around. And, and I kind of heard and look over and he's like, okay, very good job, Chad. Chad, put your hand right there. Okay, Chris, Chris, I, you need to move your hips like this. Hey, Dave, Dave, make sure you put your head here when you do this. Fuck, how did he remember my name? Yeah. Are you kidding? That it, is makes really you, impressive. it makes you feel special, yeah. right? Makes you feel special. Somebody, the first time you tell them your name, they remember your name, right? Mm. He remembered everybody's name from the, the first, just introduction, 50 different people. I'm like, holy crap. I, I, I'm now I'm super impressed with this guy. This yeah. guy's like Superman here, you know. And uh, later on down the road, you know, a couple of years later, I asked him at dinner one night, "Hey, what, what is that?" <laughs> you know, and it's actually a little trick or uh, memory thing you do or whatever mm. that his family's always done or something. And uh, but you know, it, it showed me the importance of trying to make people feel special. Yeah, in a way, especially when you meet somebody knowing their name. And so that's something that I, that I've carried with me from Hoist this entire time being an owner of gyms. I let my instructors, my gym managers know, hey, it's important to know people's name in your class. Right. You don't want to have somebody who's been there for like two months training. And you're like, hey, man, hey, yeah. dude, you want to be able to know him by name because, you know, that's what's the sweetest word in the English language to your ears, your own name. Right. You hear your yeah. own name. It makes you feel special. Mm-hmm. So. That day with Hoist, that first time I met him, that made me feel special that he remembered my name. Yeah. So, you know, the first time I met him was pretty impressive, to say the least. Made an impact on me. That's a good story right there. I can't even remember anybody's names. You need to learn the trick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's like it's what you said, because it makes it it, it becomes more uh, personable. Right. Like, oh, that guy knows me, you know, and then boom, it goes from there. He's just I'm just not in this class for no reason. Like he's actually teaching me and. He knows who I am now. Yeah, I mean, and 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 that's how you know. I have a uh, there's a saying that I love. It's my favorite saying in the entire world. Um, it, it's a it's a Teddy Roosevelt saying actually, and it's uh, <clears throat> nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. I'll repeat that. Nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. Okay, so in other words, I could have been super impressed with Hoist because he knows jujitsu, right? And he's a black belt and he's a UFC champ and all these kind of things. But if he was kind of an asshole the day I met him or he didn't know my name or he didn't really care, he didn't come around and, and help me with my techniques or whatever. But then like a couple months later, this other guy comes in who is skilled, but he shows me attention and he makes me feel special. He knows my name. Guess who? Guess who I'm going to care to learn from? 
Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, and that's 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 an important distinction is, you know, a lot of people think that you can just ride on your accomplishments and who you are. Hey, you know, you got to respect me. You got to look up to me. You have to whatever because of what I've done. No, it's not like that. Yeah. Nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. Mm, I like that. So it's my favorite saying. So how did you get started with the gyms? <clears throat> well, Hang on, I got a question. Sure. So how long, so was it just six months you were there or did you end up staying a little bit longer in it, Denmark and Copenhagen? I mean, it was just six months. I stayed there for six months. Okay. I did, uh, right before Christmas, I came back. Uh, uh, yeah, I was getting homesick to be honest mm. with you. And, uh, I, and my dad was kind of in my ear about finishing college. Like just come back and finish, get your degree and then do whatever you want to do. Right. Just come back and do that. And he was concerned that like, I was just going to like be a, you know, a dumb fighter, you know, and then I would be like 35 years old, retired, broken down. And then like school is a distant memory, you know? Yeah. yeah. So he kind of talked me to come back and finish in school and which I'm glad he did, you know, it was the right move. So when I left, uh, actually I brought Mike Powell over to Denmark. I don't know if y'all know Mike Powell. Mike Powell was one of the oldest active MMA fighters in, uh, in the UFC. He just retired four years ago from the UFC fought, probably 10 years in the UFC, but uh, wow. he, Mike's a good friend of mine. He's from Dresden, Tennessee. Mm. He and I used to train together quite a bit. He lives in Vegas now, but um, when I left, I brought Mike Powell over. Mike lived there for three years. Yeah. And then when Mike left, John David Shackleford, y'all know John David yeah, Shackleford? JD, yeah. yeah. John David Shackleford went over there for four months. Yeah. So then by that point, we had been over there so much with our jiu-jitsu that we taught others and they can go on with, you know, now they have a great, fantastic grappling program over there in Copenhagen now. All so. because of you. Because of hoist. Yeah. Not sure. because of me, because of hoist. Call, yeah. 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 It's just a right place, right time, you know? Yeah, it's uh, definitely the right place. Uh, so how did you get started with the gyms, like Tony was asking? When did that come to fruition? Uh, well, so I'm uh, this October uh, will be 20 years in business for me. Wow. With Memphis Judo and Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, so I've been in business 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> time goes fast. Time goes fast. Uh, so... The way I ended up opening the gym was, um, so I was teaching for Chad. Um, when I came back from uh, from Copenhagen, um, you know, I had I'd been training Muay Thai intensely, like twice a day, every day, right? And so my skill level was was pretty good, right? And then coming to Memphis, um, I remember when I came back, I kind of got back into teaching some jujitsu again for Chad. But a lot of the students they wanted to learn the Muay Thai. They're like, "Hey, show us this, show us that," because we had guys that wanted to fight also. And uh, so. Um, at the time, we were at the Bartlett Recreation Center in this little back room. Um, the room was way too small for the people we had. A lot of these guys wanted to learn Muay Thai, so I'd try to teach them what I could. But, you know, you need equipment. Mm -hmm. You need bags. You need uh, tie pads. You need mitts. You know, you really need shin protection and gloves. You need all the stuff, you know. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know if Chad was in a position at that point or didn't. You know, I didn't. I don't know. Um, but there, what, there wasn't, uh, I guess, the, um, the motivation to go ahead and invest all that in there. And I think a lot of that was he was in Bartley Recreation Center. It wasn't like his own freestanding four-wall school yeah. where he could outfit it the way he wanted to. Because, in fact, we had to, like, roll out mats there and stuff because they did other activities in that room. So just happenstance, you know, I, 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 a lot of guys wanted to learn um, striking. A lot of guys wanted to do MMA. We just didn't have the facility for it. So I made the decision, um, uh, along with a guy named Mike Ostrowski, who is our judo coach, um, said, Hey, look, you know, we talked about it. 
quite a bit. And um, it was a hard decision to make, but I said, I'm going to go ahead and open my own place. So I, because my dream was to have many different martial arts, not just jujitsu, but I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to have, uh, you know, Brazilian jujitsu for kids, for adults. I wanted to have boxing, Muay Thai, mixed martial arts. That was kind of my dream. You know, I was like, you know, I want to have a place to where anybody can do anything they want to do, right? Where you walk in and you're, you're going to find something that intrigues you, something that you want to learn. So I, I did. I, I opened the gym in October 2003. Um, I was uh, broke at the time. <laughs> so uh, Mike Ostrowski actually is the one who put for he put forward uh, some of the money for the mats. Um, and so we were able to buy some mats and I didn't have any money to like or credit to like go get a lease on a building or anything. Um, so, um, there was a guy who had a martial arts school called Memphis martial arts, a karate instructor, Joe Wilson is his name, former Shelby County Sheriff, um, deputy. He, uh, he had a martial arts school at Poplar and Highland. And so I remember talking to him one day and I was like, yeah, I'm just kind of looking for a place to start a program or whatever. Just, I'm trying to do something just so there could be like a transition of these guys to come with me, you know? And, uh, he's like, well, man, I happen to have this basement down here. And it's just dusty. There's no windows. There's no air conditioning. There's no heat. I said, I'll take it. <laughs> and it's $1,000 a month. I was like, I'll take it. No problem. So that's where we started. We started off in a basement um, at Poplar and Highland. Again, no windows. So there's no airflow. There was no heat, no air conditioning. Um, it was dusty and musty and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, but it was some of the best training we've ever had in that little basement. That, that's how I started, though. You know? Yeah, I remember Nick Harminer went down there. <clears throat> down to the basement? Yeah. Yeah. We went down there for a training session one time. Because when I think he just started V3 or something, so we went down there for that. Oh, so you, you went down to the basement? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I went down there once with that, and then uh, I went down there when Alex was teaching down there, too, uh-huh. once before. Pretty crazy place down there, huh? Yeah. I mean, that's like a real authentic gym, which you would feel like, man. Like, Yeah. So that was nowhere. Cool, can you, yeah, that just seems like the hardcore, like a Russian gym, man. You guys it, it, was, it was pretty intimidating. I mean, I didn't think it was that. I mean, because my perspective was different. But uh, I've had people uh, since tell me, like, yeah, I, I was going to start like a few years ago, and like. I started to go through this karate school where like these kids were doing <laughs> their katas, and then I go through this back door, and it's like dark and it's stinky, and I hear like somebody kicking like tires on a pole down there and there's these like concrete stairs and i was like mm, nah not today but that's how it was tony was it not yeah that's exactly yeah, how it was that's not yeah. like over describing it no, that's exactly that's, how it was that's pretty accurate yeah <laughs> welcome to the thunderdome i'm telling you i mean you you had to have a pretty strong constitution just to walk down the stairs you know and, so if, you did, long, and if you didn't we wouldn't strengthen it for you for sure yeah how yeah. long were you guys there for so we were in the basement uh Three and a half years in 2006, we moved to uh, uh, Kirby Whitman stage right next to ATC Fitness. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's right. I remember that too. Yeah, by the CCs. Yeah. Right, no. exactly. Is, oh, was there CCs? There was that. a CCs. I remember. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> it's five guys now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's five, it five guys. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a Walgreens over there now, right? CVS. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Walgreens is Catty Corner. Yeah. yeah, it's Catty Corner. That. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And then you were at your current location. Is the one you're at right now the biggest location? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 24,000 square feet. Yeah, because you got yeah. all the front, and then in the back, you have the ring. I mean, the cage set up. Right. And, and yeah, it's just so fucking big back there. Yeah. yeah it's a big, it's a big space. Both of your places by CC's, because there was a CC's by the original one, too. We like jujitsu and pizza. <laughs> <laughs> we like jujitsu and cheap pizza. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, do you know anything about business at all when you first started? 
Uh, I had a degree in business. I mean, I, I went through business school. Okay. So I've got a degree in international business from Memphis. Um, but, I mean, having a degree in business doesn't prepare you to run a business yeah. at all. I mean, at all. I'm telling you, at all. It's 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 not real world experience. Um, so, uh, yes and no. I knew the basics of business. I knew the terminology from like you know going through school and getting a degree, but uh, the actual practical practice of it, no. Mm-hmm. I, I I learned the hard way on many fronts. I've been through a lot of. Uh, I've learned a lot of hard lessons. I'll just put it to you that way. Um, but uh, I wouldn't have any other way, man. That's that's how that's how things stick. You know, yeah. that's how you get better is you, you have to fail and you have to learn lessons and uh, you just make sure you don't repeat those those failures again. You know, you learn from them. That is insane, man. So it's really is like a sink or swim type mentality though when it comes to business. It's uh, like either you're going to fail or you're not. And it's like you probably you rather not fail. So it's like you got to do everything you possibly can to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that is true. I I think the most important thing for success in business and longevity from what I've seen, um, I mean, there are several different factors, but I think the one factor that stands out to me the most is you got to have a passion for what you're doing. Yeah. Right. And that's like true of anything in life. It doesn't have to be your business. It could be anything. If you don't have a passion for it, a real drive for it, then you're probably not going to last in it. Right. Mm -hmm. When times get tough, it's going to be easy to to quit. Right. If you're not passionate about it, if you're passionate about it, even through tough times, you're going to keep grinding hard. Yeah. You're going to you're going to figure it out. Right. And you're not going to stop. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the thing is you just don't quit. You just keep going. I mean, there's been so many gyms in the city that have come and gone yeah. open and closed and this kind of thing, that kind of thing. And and the one thing that I can point to when I see a lot of those is the people who had those gyms don't have the passion for it. Mm-hmm. Right. You got to be. Pa- and that, that's not a just not a gym. That's like anything you do. Yeah. You know, if you open up a whatever, be passionate about it, you know really want to know everything about your product you're selling or the service you're offering. Um, you know, be a student also. That's the thing. You have to be a student. Some people don't want to be students anymore. They yeah. think they know it all. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case, especially today in our digital age. Mm. Shit changes fast, man. Yeah. you got to be on top of that stuff and understand what's going on. And if you don't, you'll be out of business. You know? Well, look at all these little, these different like niche gyms they are. Like you got uh, nine rounds, I think it's what it's called, you know, or they're, they're out of business. They came and gone. Okay. See, okay, there you go. That's how quick that happened. Perfect uh, example. UFC gyms when they were, were in town, of, there were two of them. They came and gone. Yeah. Yep. And now they're opening up another one. I don't know if it's some, it's some similar like that. It's, um, it's in the next to cameo on, on Madison or union. I mean, I forget what it's called, but if they're opening something like a niche gym, I mean, you're going to get like your monthly subscribers, but do you think the person, like you just said, working the front desk gives a fuck about the person paying $45 a month? Absolutely not, probably. Yeah, you know, and 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 that's a franchise. I know what you're talking about. It's a mm-hmm. franchise. Again, the franchise is a, is a flawed model. It's a flawed model just from the start, you know? Somebody who's got money and they're like, hey, I want to be a business owner. Mm. Cool. That Everybody should have that opportunity and do it if they want to, right? But uh, everybody's looking for that turnkey. Like, they want to skip all the hard stuff. Yeah. Right? And the hard stuff's where the lessons are learned. The hard stuff's where you you become um, uh, a seasoned business person, where you have longevity. Um you know, and oftentimes with a lot, and I'm not saying this particular one is like this. I don't know. I don't know a lot about yeah. it, but oftentimes you're kind of left to your own devices, you know, and you're, it's a sink or swim thing. Talk about sink or swim. Yeah. That's it. Hey man, pay us the money 
for the franchise fees. Oh, you got a lot of money. Oh, you want to be in the gym business? Oh, you know, this seems fun, doesn't it? Yeah, this seems fun. I'm going to do this. Here, take my money, right? And then six months down the road, when you need that back-end support and help and somebody like who has the knowledge and you don't, they're not there. They're moving on to the next franchise. They're trying to get that money grab on the front end. Um, but yeah, that place you're talking about, it's a franchise. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I how, did, how did you know when to start scaling your business? Um, I mean, the, the, the classes started getting bigger. Yeah. Um, there were need, there was a need for more space. And so I've always had a, a really hard time with, uh, that whole capacity versus price, um, thing adjustments. Um, I've, I've always wanted to keep my price point where anybody can do this, okay. where it's not price, you know, it's not cost prohibitive for somebody. Right. Mm. And so, you know, I could stay in a much smaller place and then jack my prices way up. Right. So then I'm making the same amount of money, less people fine and good. Great. But I want this to be accessible for anybody. I want it to be affordable for anybody. So how do you solve that? You have to have a bigger place. Yeah. Right. You have to have more mat space, more bags, more, you know, um, so that for me, it, when we moved from the basement, we were just busting the seams. The basement just wasn't big enough to support what we were doing. Um, we moved to Kirby Whitney stage. Um, well, that was a different reason. That, it, same thing. We were busy, but uh, but I was close to filing for bankruptcy then with the business. And that's the story I can tell you if you you know if you want to hear it. Yeah. It's kind of a story of caution <laughs> in a way. Um and that's why I ended up moving to a, to a different space there. Um, but yeah, capacity, price, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, if you want to hear the story about like, you want to hear the hard times? Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, and this is, you, you'd asked earlier, you know, how did you learn about the business and, and run the business or whatever? Well, you, you go through hard stuff. So when we were at the Kirby Witness stage, when we moved to the Kirby Witness stage location, remember I was, I came from a basement that was a thousand dollars a month. I didn't pay any utilities, right? That was covered by the guy upstairs. Um, so that was my expense, essentially, right? And, of course, I would pay instructors a little something. But, uh, you know, we could only grow so much to really turn into a real business business. So made the decision, made the leap to go to Kirby Whitman Stage. Well, that was an 8,000-square-foot location. The rent was 6000 a month. Oh, shit. So now I have six times the, the rent that I was paying, right? I'm in this retail shopping center. Now I've got utility costs. I've got other costs, right? We had to outfit the place and stuff. So um, going into it, you know, I thought it was going to be great. We're going to grow and everything's going to be fine. And we did grow, you know, we did, but it just wasn't enough to make ends meet. Um, one thing that I always did, though, when the months were short, I always made sure the instructors were paid. Mm-hmm. So the instructors always got paid, right? I never shorted the instructors. My payroll was always met on time, but I had to give somewhere else. I wasn't paying myself very much at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was living over at South Perkins and I don't know. I was living in Parkway Village and I was eating ramen noodles and it was lean, lean. You know, I was just trying to get make my business run. And uh, then I started shorting my landlord on the rent. I would pay utilities, make sure we had utilities. But then my landlord, instead of getting 6000 a month, was getting like 3000 or 4000 you know, and then he, you know, the secretary would call me and say, yeah, I'll make it up next month. And that, that kind of went on for a little while, about yeah. a year and a half, two years. And to the point where, um, you know, one day I got a, a phone call from uh, my landlord, um, Ray Gill, Gill Properties. Um, fantastic guy, by the way. I'll just tell you guys, he, he was awesome. Very patient with me, for sure. Um, he called me and he said, Dave, and I've got a voicemail I've saved. I've still got it. 
and I will never delete it. It's a big motivator for me. Yeah. And uh, I'll let you guys listen to it later. Uh, he said, uh, Dave, this is Ray Gill. You haven't paid me what you owe me in months. You owe me $70,000. Wow. What the fuck? You need to pay me and you need to figure out how to get this done or, or we're going to have to do something. Gulp. <laughs> Damn. So, uh, you know, I, I, I got in my car and I drove over to his office and I came hat in hand and I said, Mr. Gill, I'm, I'm so sorry. Give me 30 days to, to do something. He goes, Dave, I'm going to need a big portion of this. Okay. Or, you know, we're going to have to move on, you know, and I still had a couple of years left on my lease at the time. And so here I am thinking, shit, um, I've got two years left on my lease that I'm responsible for. Uh, I, I don't know how I'm going to make more money. Um, I don't know how I'm going to grow this thing. I mean, I was hustling as much as I could marketing and stuff and doing everything I could. And this is before the days of like digital marketing or social media marketing. All this so a lot of it was like putting flyers around and whatever, yeah. you know, something advertising a magazine or something. So um, it was an oh shit time for me. And uh, it's funny how things happen. I remember a couple of days after that, I was sitting in my office and uh, one of the guys, a guy named Dan, um, who lived in Atlanta, Georgia, but he was in Memphis like two or three days out of the week working for a fiber optics company. So he would come in and we would come into town. He would come train jujitsu, right? Because he trained jujitsu at a gym out there. So I got to know this guy, super cool guy. And we were sitting in my office one day, just chatting it up after like a day class or something. And uh, I don't know what made me tell him because I hadn't, I didn't tell anybody else. It was a real embarrassing thing for me. Um, and I don't know what made me tell him this, but I was like, yeah, I said, Hey Dan, uh, this gym might not be here in the next few weeks. He's like, what? And I told him the story. I was like, yeah, you know, this, that, another thing He's like, I had no idea. Holy crap, man. He goes, you know what you need? You need to have a fitness class in here. Cause all you have in here is you have these martial arts and boxing. Right. And, uh, and I was like, fitness, Psh, no, we're a hardcore fighters gym. <laughs> yeah. I'm not having, you know, he's yeah. like, no, no. He goes, there's this gym that I go to in Atlanta and we got jujitsu, jujitsu there. And Roberto Travin, world champion, black belt teaches there, but they also have this fitness kickboxing class and it kind of like fuels the finances of the place. Right. The fitness people. And I'm like, Tabo, Billy Blanks, <laughs> man, this is a hardcore gym, man. We're a fighter's gym. We're, I'm not going to do that, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I had this ego, yeah. right? I had this pride, this silly pride, this silly ego is what I had. And, uh, you know, he's like, look, man, just come down this weekend with me. You can stay with me at my house with the wife and the kids. I'll take you to the gym and, and you can see for yourself. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, what do I have to lose? <laughs> What do I have to lose? Yeah. You know, in about 30 days, I'm going to be in bankruptcy. So what do I have to lose? You know? Yeah. And uh, so I went down to Atlanta with him and we went to a gym called Unit 2 Fitness. And uh, I remember we walked in and right there in the front was this huge like bag stand with 30 bags and their music was bam, bam. It was like a Saturday morning. Music was going bam, bam, bam. And the instructor was yelling out instructions, left, left, right, bam, bam, bam. They had these bags hanging. They were so busy. They had people doubled up on bags. Oh, and I, was, I walked in and dude, I couldn't believe what I saw. Yeah. I was like, this is crazy. This isn't Tabo. This isn't Billy <laughs> Blanks. This is like a real kickboxing class, but like fitness gear. Yeah. They're not sparring, they're not whatever. But these women had their little pink gloves and they were just getting after it, you know. And I was like, holy crap. He's like, this is what you need in your gym. Damn. I was like, yeah. I need this in my gym. Only problem is I ain't got any money, dude. How am I gonna do a bag stand, a steel bag stand, get that fabricated and mats and bags and gloves and blah blah blah? 
He goes, well, I'll work out something with you. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I believe in you, Dave. I believe in what you're doing there. He goes, uh, you know, um, I'll be willing to invest $20,000 into you getting a bag stand and bags and mats and gloves and everything that you need and some marketing for this particular program because I believe in you. But, uh, you know, I'm a businessman, too, and I, I'm going to charge you interest on it as a loan. It's like, OK, I ain't got nothing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. He charged me. It's like 10 percent, you know, interest, whatever. But uh, so I was like, OK, so. He gave me the $20,000 and then my billing company at the time, my member management company at the time was called Member Solutions. I'm on a different one now. Um, they had a program that I remember I got in some emails. But I didn't pay attention, but I remember back that they were like, hey, um, we, we can front you your accounts receivables for the next month. Right. At a high interest rate. Once again, that was like, hmm. you know, eight and a half percent or something like that. Damn. I was like, what do I have to lose? So I filled out the paperwork, did all that. They gave me $20,000 of my accounts receivables, which would be they would deduct 3000 a month each month plus the interest um, for months going forward to pay it back, right? What do I have to lose? Because I needed to give something to my landlord yeah. to keep him off my back too. So, I mean, this is like pucker up time for me, you know, and uh, it's it's do or die. I took $20,000 from Dan. Um, I found a welder, got the bank, back stand welded, ordered the bags, ordered the mats, ordered the, the gloves, contacted Memphis Health and Fitness, got a little advertisement on the back page of that magazine to market the class. Um, put a big sign in the window so the ATC people could see it, you know, and they might want to come in and do it too. And, uh, then, um, I got that $20,000 from my member management company. I took that check, uh, drove over to my landlord's office. I walked in, said, I'm here to see Mr. Gill. Is he expecting you? No, but I got to give him some money. Oh, well, come right in. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. They always, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The landlord's like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I go into his office and, uh, and I gave him the check and he was like, Dave, I'm impressed. He's like, I, I was actually going to be drawing up some eviction notices for you this week. Wow. That, that close, huh? That, that close. He's like, I didn't want to do it, but man, look, Dave, you bringing me this means everything. Don't you worry about that. But okay. You still owe me a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, That's, that's good to start with, but you need to give me your full rent each month, starting this month plus 3000. So now it's 9,000 a month. I've got to pay. Him. Oh, to pay back. Okay. To I pay back okay. what I owe him. Yeah. So I'm like, yes, sir, Mr. Gill, I'll make it happen. Oh shit. What am I going to do? <laughs> so, Damn, uh, man. yeah, exactly. So, uh, we, we started marketing the fitness kitboxing class, put the schedule out, and we grew like gangbusters. That class filled up fast. ATC owner wasn't too happy because a lot of his members were coming over there now and doing this fitness kitboxing class. Yeah. And we were like busting at the seams. So literally like two or three months after I had seen that scene in Atlanta, that bag stand where people were doubled up on bags, we had the exact same thing. People were doubled up on bags. I had to get more bags, another bag stand because this class was so popular. Revenue started going up and I was able to make my payments to the landlord at that point. And uh, by the time the end of my lease came, which was a five and a half year lease, I had paid back all the money to my landlord. I was current completely. I was solvent, was profitable. And I remember my landlord came and he was like, hey, let's renew that lease. I was like, nope. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Dude, I'm out of here, man. <laughs> So because then I had I had a little I had some uh, wind beneath my wings, you know, so to speak. I was uh, I was I was motivated to yeah. grow. Now let's grow. Now let's grow. OK, now we've been through the fire. We've come out of it. 
let's do this. So I found a 24,000 square foot place, three times the size of where I was. And I, let's just do it. So that's, that's what happened. Um, and that happened to me. I ended up in that position because I had a lot of pride that was silly. I had a huge ego. I'm a fighter. I'm training fighters. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what are we going to do with like fitness people, a bunch of women in here kicking bags? And all that. that was my ego, yeah. right? Talking. And, uh, and so I learned a huge, huge lesson from that, that, um, from that point forward, man, I've never let my, I've tried to not let my ego or my pride, um, um, control my actions and decisions at all because that almost cost me. Wow. Yeah. Damn, man. I mean, that's crazy that you opened up to that guy and then that guy was able to help you out too. It's crazy how life works sometimes, yeah. man. Like that just, why did I do that? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't told anybody, man, I was so embarrassed and you know, but for some reason I just, I don't know, man, I had that moment in my office and I just had to tell him that. I don't know. It, 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 it happens like that though, you know? Damn. So, that's a good story, though, because people need to hear that because not everything is just perfect. And that's what like Internet kind of shows people like, oh, Dave seems like he has the perfect life. You know, he's had all this going on. And you tell that story. and Everybody's like, what? I never thought that about him. It's fucking insane, man. Like yeah. I took a picture of a, I took a picture of two girls on Sunday this past Sunday. And I literally had to take the picture like eight times. Like, is this one good? Oh, no, no, no. Is this one good? Oh, no, no, no. They're only posting the, the perfect reel. Right. So I got I was like, damn, man, like. It's really true what I'd be watching on TV and stuff, how the internet is fucking everything up. But then it's also, there's good and bad about everything, right? And the bad is people think that what we see on Instagram is perfect, is everyone's reality should be like that, right? Like you got Andrew Tate saying all this stuff, and then people are starting to, you know, a lot of people are believing him. I think they're trying to, they might probably try to kill him soon. You know, I know he's in jail in Poland or no. Where is it? Romania. 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 Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and like they're 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 trying to shut him up. And he's still posting stuff on, on Twitter and stuff. He posted a new video this morning. It popped up on my feed. And I was like, damn. Like it's they they kind of shut everybody up. But no stuff like that. Well, you know, in, in today's day and age too, man, <laughs> you know, consequences are magnified because of social media too, right? There's consequences for everything you do. Now, you know, I mean I don't know a lot about the Andrew Tate situation. I don't know a whole lot about it at all, but, uh, but it seems like to me, that's a pride ego thing too. You know, it's kind of reeks of that a little bit. Well, it's like so. they say the thing that makes you popular can be the same thing that takes you down. Right. That's right. And that's kind of like what's happening to him. It's right. Cause yeah. you can't boast about all this shit and then you get accused of it. And then people are like, well, you've been talking about this all day long, you know? And so sometimes you just need to keep, keep your head down and be a little humble. Man, work in silence. Yeah. Yeah. Work in silence. Don't, don't, you don't have to toot your own horn. Let others toot it for you. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. That is a wild story, though, that you just had, though. I wouldn't, like I said, when you were telling me, I was like, what? So, how many locations do y'all have now? So, um, <clears throat> I own Memphis Jiu Jitsu, like I say, 20 years coming up in October. Uh, Memphis Fitness Kickboxing in Midtown. Uh, I have a partner, um, Eric McMahon. Um, who's my partner in that gym. He's also my partner in uh, the East Memphis, Memphis Fitness Kickboxing, which is on Quince Road. Um, we have ownership in Powell, Tennessee, and Knoxville, Tennessee, Total Fitness Kickboxing. Um, and also ownership in Total Fitness Kickboxing, Littleton, Colorado. How did that one come about? The Littleton gym? Yeah. So uh, 
we, well, let me, let me start that with, uh, Eric and I had a third partner okay. and we formed a, um, an ownership group that would go out and, um, and look to find operating partners like we did equity split partnerships mm-hmm. and, uh, not franchises. And, uh, so, you know, basically we would, uh, um, bring half the seed money, the owner operator on site who would be working in that particular gym, whatever location they're in the United States would um, operate the gym. They would come with half of the um, startup capital. And um, that particular one in Littleton, Colorado, uh, the guy who owns that gym is a guy named Ken Solomon. Ken Solomon used to be Rocky, the mascot for the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> wow. So, you know, Eric, I'm not going to reveal it publicly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's in that world. And, uh, <laughs> and so um, anyway, uh, uh, Rocky, uh, Ken Solomon, uh, it was the longest active, uh, mascot in like all the pro sports. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, phenomenal athlete, phenomenal mascot. Anyway, he, he was retiring. He was going to get ready to retire and he wanted to find something else to do. He liked fitness. He liked the gym. Um, he liked kickboxing. And so we hooked up with him and taught him the business and gotten a partnership with him. And we um, all own it to this day. And that was four or four, four and a half, five years ago. Yeah. That is impressive, man. So starting a little basement to what you're doing now is that's, that's amazing, man. How many people did y'all have down in that basement? Mm. How many could it actually hold? And then how many did y'all stuff in there? No, man, <laughs> let me tell you, it, I would say at one time, the most we had, well, the most people we had ever, like in that basement, ever was. Uh, do you remember when a, a show called Elite XC came to DeSoto Civic Center? Elite XC, Henzo Gracie fought on it. Um, some other big stars fought on it also. Do I you, think I remember the, the 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 name of the promotion, but I don't remember the fighters are fighting. Yeah, this was. I mean, this was two thousand six, maybe or something like that. Gina Carano came down. Okay. Randy Couture, Forrest Griffin, all that. Anyway, all those people came to the gym, to the basement and trained and like, you know, did like photo ops, whatever. And of course people heard about, they were coming. So we probably had 150 people in that little basement, just stuffed down there, (laughs) but under regular circumstance, training days or whatever, I don't know, 50 people, 60 people, maybe something like that. That's a lot of people though, man. Let me tell you something. It would get so hot down there, like in the summer, like, so remember we had, we had fans running and we had like, we had these dehumidifiers, right? You know, the ones that sit on the floor, (laughs) (laughs) we had two of them. This is no lie, man. We had to empty the buckets. They were like five gallon buckets. We had to empty the buckets. Literally, like every hour, they would fill up because wow. there was so much humidity in the air and so much moisture in there. The walls, the concrete walls, you would see like like moisture just running down the wall because it was getting so hot in there. It was a sweat box, man. <laughs> it was. It was. Is that when you hurt your back? No, I hurt my back um, at Jeff's school. Oh, at Jeff's. Okay, you used to train with Turner, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got. He's the one that got me into MMA or UFC and or jujitsu and all that stuff. That guy, he's an interesting guy, man. Jason Turnage. <laughs> I remember, I, I still have the t-shirt. I don't know where it is. It was say no to karate. He made a karate right. shirt. And that was the best shirt. What was the other shirt he got? A, the Affliction shirt or something like that? Fuck your Affliction shirt, pussy. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something about Jason as a grappler. Uh, just because you used to train with him. I've never seen anybody with such incredible isometric strength. I mean, he was technical, no doubt. But his isometric strength. 
was unbelievable. Like, you know, if he grabbed a hold of your wrist, yeah. dude, you weren't getting your wrist back. Yeah. It just wasn't happening. Like, it was, I don't care how strong you were, you could lift, you know, all the weights. <laughs> You're not getting your arm back, man. Like, he he was just, he was incredibly like, physically um, capable like that and technical and, and a real student of the sport. So, I hate Jason's not involved anymore, man. He was uh, an awesome stop? grappler. I don't know. I have no idea. Because, like, I know one day he's a, he got his black belt or whatever, and then he's like, yeah, I'm just done. I mean, yeah. this was your life, man. For like, I mean, that's how I knew him was because of why well, we worked together. But I mean, that was his identity was jujitsu. Yeah. Who knows? <clears throat> what do y'all think about the Francis Nagano thing about not agreeing with the UFCs, what they wanted and what he was asking? Mm. I don't know. What was he asking for? <clears throat> All right. So he was asking for fighter health care. He was asking for to be the fighter. Uh, he wanted to be the advocate for the fighters also, you know, like maybe like a union kind of thing. That's what, I'm, that's what I gathered when I read that. And then um, there was one more. He wanted a fighter representative to be in every negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. With, that, that would represent the fighters almost like a union as a whole. Yeah. Not just the fighters manager, but uh, an actual representative for the fighters as a whole or something. Yeah. Because all the other pro sports have, you know, we have their agent that represents them and they do that for them, you know, like, Hey, this is, this might not be the best deal. Let's just wait. And then, you know, but sometimes when you offer some kid 20,000 to show and 20,000 to win, that's a lot of money. If you think, you know, but then you're also putting your life on the line, man, like your fucking head, you know? So I don't know. Is there a lot of money though? Cause don't you have to pay like your training partners and to get out there and all that stuff after a certain amount of time, I think it cuts into it. Oh, what time. I meant was like, it appears it's a lot, you know, but then when you get done, to you, like you just said, when you're paying your corner man, your trading partners, your coaches, your staff and all that. Your manager gets a cut. That's right. Man. You know, it all starts going down, down, down. And then maybe it becomes like 12 and 12 or something, maybe, you know, after expenses. Like, I don't know. I think I don't I don't ever see the UFC giving the fighters uh, health insurance and stuff like that. But what do you think? Independent contractors? They are. They're 1099 employees. So I think it's kind of hard to negotiate when you have a contract, though. Well, if you're a contractor, you're just yeah. you're independent, you know. So, yeah, yeah, you're bound to um, contracts with the UFC as far as as, as a fighter capacity, mm -hmm. but your your financial dealings are as an independent contractor. Yeah, it's kind of a weird situation that they have going on there. But I mean, you know, I see both sides of it. Okay, in other words, I. I as an advocate for fighters, I think the fighters deserve to get paid more for sure. Like, mm -hmm. get more of a cut, right? Yeah. I think I saw somewhere where the UFC's yearly revenues, the the fighter pay is actually like 15% of what the, the gross revenues are for the UFC. But you have to think that's just their announced pay, right? Yeah. There are bonuses. There are a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that aren't announced. You don't see different things they help the fighters with and all. I know that happens, mm -hmm. all right? I don't know what to what extent. But uh, still, 15% is paltry, okay, yeah. for, for, for fighter compensation, in my opinion. I think it needs to go up. No doubt about that. You know, but I don't know what the UFC strategy is. I mean, I can't fault the UFC either because the UFC and the hard work that, like, uh, you know, Dana and the Fertitas and the different people like that put in to put in the UFC where it is now, we should all be thankful for, yeah. right? And that took money. That took investment. That took retained earnings instead of getting out all the fighters. You don't have any money to like grow the business. Um, you know they're the ones that ran to regulation. They're the ones that hired the right people. They're the ones that 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 invested all the money on the front end. So I see their point of it as well. Now the UFC is not owned by the Fortettas anymore. They're owned. It's it's a conglomerate, a sports conglomerate yeah. that owns it now. 
So I don't know. I mean, they can run their 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 private business any way they see fit, because with private business, there is competition in the marketplace. Yeah. There is Bellator. There is one FC there. You know, there are different things, you know, different promotions a fighter can fight in. No doubt about that. But the UFC is the, it's it's the best one yeah. by far. Right. It's like the NFL. Yeah. So fighters want to fight in the UFC. They want that on their resume. They want to be seen in the public or whatever. So fighters are willing to take the money they're given to get that opportunity to fight. Right. I guarantee you most fighters. Most fighters, just to get an opportunity to fight in the UFC, would take whatever the UFC was offering. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth of the matter, you know, because they want that opportunity, right? It's all about opportunity. Well, then it's your, it's your, at that point, now it's up to you. It's up to you to perform, to, to, to make yourself uh, valuable, right? Valuable enough to where your pay starts to go up substantially, to where you can get long-term fight contracts. You can get all kinds of maybe pay-per-view points, right? Built into that. That's kind of what the UFC's model is. Like, okay, we'll give you a chance, kid, right? Take this, right? And then if you win some, lose some, you're probably going to keep taking that. Yeah. But if you stand out and you become a star, well, then they're going to they're gonna put the money behind you at that point, you know, and your pay is going to go up and stuff. So, you know, it, it's like any other business in some ways. So I see both sides of it for sure, you know? Yeah, because I saw even like uh, uh, Stylebender was like, they give us like this platform that you probably couldn't get in some other promotion. So that's like a plus side of it. And you have people like him and Connor who blow up because, you know, they took what they were given and they ran with it. Some people maybe are just not as vocal or they don't speak English or something like that. So that might stifle them in being a bigger star. And some people just may not have it. I mean, like Colby Covington had to become a heel to become. I mean, he was a good fighter, but he just had to become like this bad person to get attention. And that's what attention brings currency. It, it, it does. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's entertainment at yeah. the end of the day, right? It, it's entertainment like any other entertainment. Why are you tuning in? Cause you're going to be entertained. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of that trash talk and the, you know, stuff leading up to the fight and, um, all, all that, uh, all that pays you, Yeah, you know, not just your fighting. So. And I wonder too, like, say like if it, Francis is not bigger than the UFC. So obviously they can be like, Oh, we're going to cut you. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like we, we can go on without you. So it, I, I would assume it had to be a whole bunch of people that are like, Hey, we're not going to fight. And then they could probably get some leverage, but most people are not going to do that. Cause most people are going to look out for themselves. You mean like a factory walkout or something, <laughs> yeah. but also yeah. like, think about this, say like, say, say, I don't know how many fighters on the UFC roster currently say there was a hundred only. Right. And say 40 decide, Hey, you know what? Until we get this, we're gone. And they, and they, leave say we're not fighting anymore until we i believe that the matchmakers will will just go out and find those replacement 40 and put them on the roster like i think people want to fight that bad in the ufc that i don't know like well and here's what's happened i mean you've got a good point okay well here's what's happened is the ufc has positioned themselves so smartly they have branded themselves so strongly so strongly in the public that it really doesn't matter. It can be the revolving door. Mm-hmm. Pe- a lot of people who spend their money on the pay-per-views, you know, the boys get together on Saturday night, let's watch the fights. Let's win the pay-per-view fights. Yeah, there's a couple more key fights I want to see, right? But the rest of the card, right? The rest of the card, they don't know who these people are. Yeah. Hell, I'm involved in the sport. I don't even know, you know, 80% of the fighters in the UFC. I don't know who they yeah. are, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's the thing. You can have 40 people walk out. They will be replaced. The UFC has branded themselves so strongly that it doesn't matter who's fighting. I mean, you have to have your marquee guys here and there. No doubt about that to headline and things like that. But underneath that doesn't matter. Yeah, that's the and that's the hard truth 
of the sport of the UFC anyway. That's those, are the, those are the people making ten and ten, probably right. or whatever. I, I, th- it is. I think the minimum. I think the minimum is fifteen and fifteen. I could be oh, wrong okay. about that. I think it's something like that. But so. like, yeah, like everyone is replaceable. So you know, now uh, Francis is gone. They're just going to go find the next whatever. Well, they and, already got John and and Sarah. Yeah, know, so that just yeah. that just kind of just that's yeah. gonna be interesting. I'm looking forward to that one. Who do you think takes that one, John? Yeah, this is yeah. good, man. The, the <laughs> new and improved John. <laughs> Have you seen him lately, man? Dude, he's massive. Holy shit! Dude. I saw. He looked, hey, he reminds me of how what happened with Overeem. Remember Overeem? Yeah. Overeem all of a sudden is like, who's this guy? <laughs> oh, that's Overeem. That's yeah. two Overeems put together. Holy crap! Yeah, uh, I saw a picture of Connor the other day. Well, I'm thinking it's probably an older picture, and he was just fucking jacked, man. I was like, um, what are you going to be fighting at when you come back? Dude, and I can't like, believe these guys all natural, man. I can't believe how they do it. The joke. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you like you're being serious. I'm like, wait, I don't know. Wait. You're wrong with the look on his face. Like, are they? Are they? <laughs> you know, the best is when you see like bodybuilders or whatever on Instagram or, you know, they sh- they're showing their meals. Like they're like a week log with meals or whatever. And then like this guy named Goob will get on there and be like, why aren't you showing him the rest of the stuff you're putting in your body? Like he'll, 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 he'll straight, he straight up just attacks all kinds of fitness influencers, trainers. Now he's going again. Now he's going after the United States powerlifting association. Apparently, they knew there were some pedos on the like the upper staff, and they didn't do anything about it. Mm. And like when, the gymnastics world, or yeah, whatever. something yeah. like that. And then when it started leaking, so one of the staffers sent him an email with all this information on it. And uh, now he's going after them, and he's got y'all got y'all got till Monday at twelve o'clock before I release everything I have. And he's been doing this for. I don't know how long he's been on Instagram, but I found him in a, like a WikiLeaks type situation. Maybe, where, yeah, like knowing about all this abuse and just covering yeah. it up, kind of thing. Probably, uh, yeah, it's bad. It's gonna be bad. And if it if it has to do with pedophilia, man, put it out there. Make sure these yeah. people are off the streets. You know, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, how do you think John wins? Decision, or do you think he's gonna finish him? And he hadn't fought in three years, uh, but that doesn't matter, man. Do you he's think so it'll good. be like when he fought OSP? Where he was kind of like slowish, and he had more weight then too, because I think that's when he was doing that powerlifting. Yeah, and OSP had like one of his best nights ever. Yeah, that time. Um, yeah, probably something a little bit like that. I, I, I think John. Yeah, I think John was by decision. I do. I think that John will uh, will dominate probably from round three, four, probably around, you know the later part of the fight. Mm-hmm. I, I see John dominate just because his skill is so good. He puts the hurt on you. That adds up, you know. Yeah. Um, and man, he's you know he's the best man. He's the goat. No matter what anybody says, man, John Jones is the goat. Um, he's just got so many tools, man. He's so talented. He's such an athlete and he's such a technician. Um, he can hurt you in so many different ways. Um, you know, as long as his cardio is good, mm-hmm. which typically it always is, as long as his cardio is good, he he's going to win this fight. You know, the only way I can see him not winning is if he gets tired. Mm. He's been carrying the extra weight for a long time. He's been out for three years. You know, when you do get older, you know, it is harder. Yeah, it really is, man. It really takes a toll. So. Who knows, man? Uh, but smart money's on John for this one. Just you can't bet against John Jones. You can't, dude. He's <laughs> he's proven everybody wrong. That now Gustafson, he had a hard time with that fight. Yeah, that was a close one, right? But that's the closest I've seen ever seen anybody get to like beating him. Yeah, you know. 
So, because I know they were saying he was like partying hardcore during that time. He didn't take him seriously, and then you saw what he did in the rematch. Right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Then he came back uh, <laughs> pretty strong in yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, when you sometimes you have standout guys like that. That's uh, it's going to take a. For somebody to beat John Jones, it's going to take John Jones to have an off night, mm. right? Which very well could happen. Yeah. And this because of the, the layoff and being older and extra weight, who knows? Um, but then the guy he fights is going to have to have like the fight of their, their life. Yeah. Also, which could happen. Because I think a lot of people are like, well, <clears throat> if Nganu could take Cyril down, what do you think John can do? And that like Ngannou was like on a bum knee or something they were yeah. saying when he were when they were fighting. Well, John Jones is an excellent wrestler too. Yeah, excellent I mean he's wrestler. a DC down at will. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is his striking's so good he doesn't have to go to his wrestling oftentimes. But in this fight, that's something that might, that might be the good strategy employ. Yeah, you know, it's well, gonna be a good one. Remember when uh, Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas? He was having an off night because his father just passed away, remember? That's right. And then, like you just said, Buster Douglas had the fight of his life. That's right. And caught him, and boom. Dude, that just goes to show you, man, fighting's so mental and so emotional. It really is. If, you know, because everybody has skills, right? Yeah. And some skills are better than others, but sometimes it just takes an off night mentally, you know, um, for you to not to fight like yourself. Have you, you know? had a lot of guys that are or women that are gym warriors, and then they get into the cage, and they just doesn't click mentally? Yeah. Nerves, oftentimes nerves. I've seen that a lot. Yeah, that happens. And then I've seen vice versa. Guys in the gym are like, mm. he always makes the wrong moves. He always zigs when he should have zagged. But then when he gets out in the cage, he puts it all together. Mm. Like they rise to the occasion kind of thing. It, it, and that's just mental. That's a mental thing. You know, does the crowd get it to people sometimes or just the pressure of the fight? Or is it just a <laughs> everything. mix of everything? Yeah, I mean, different thing for different people, I, I would imagine. But I think that fighting is probably one of the most, uh, in the world of sports, is probably one of the most, if not the most stressful um, thing you can do in the world of sports. Because uh, in like mixed martial arts, you're not going out there to like to play a, a game, mm. right? It's not a game. It's a fight. Yeah. And uh, you're you're going out there to either, you know, win, which is the highest of highs, Right. Or if you lose, you just got your ass kicked in front of all your friends and family, sometimes on TV, yeah. right? It's out there for everybody to see, and and that's tough. That's really hard for a lot of guys when they have that looming, right? They're backstage, their heart's racing, their butterflies in their stomach. Um, they're you know, a couple fights away. They're another fight away. And I can tell you, this goes through every fighter's mind. I don't care what they say, all right? Every fighter's a little scared. Yeah. It happens, right? I was. Every fight. Every fight, Okay. Before my fight, I was always like, man, I hope my opponent like trips on the stairs walking up, you know, and I'm like, I can get out of this, you know, but then, you know, you shake it off and you go out there and you perform. Yeah. But uh, fear is a real thing. It's just like anything. It's like, how do you harness it? You know, how do you deal with it? Um, you, well, you move forward. You just go, you know, and that that's it. A lot of guys can't get it out. They can't get out of, you know, out of neutral. Mm. Um, they just don't have mentally. They can't go. You know, and it just kind of makes them freeze up and um, they got, you know, they wore themselves out with their nerves beforehand. And so now they're they're tired. They have muscle fatigue already too early, um, you know, or something, you know, they're dehydrated because they're like nervously like backstage, like going to the bathroom every five seconds. And that happens. Right. Yeah. That happens. And all of a sudden their muscles lock up and, um, you know, that's all part of it. But again, that a lot of that's mental. It's just, you know, being able to control your 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 mental game a little bit, right? 
affirm, maybe some affirmation helps a lot of people. Routine helps a lot of people before a fight as well, going through the same routine, same warm-up routine, whatever, having the same set of coaches in your corner, that kind of thing, that, that comfort helps a lot. So there are ways to deal with it. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, I've seen both sides of it for sure. For sure. Man, that's a lot just before the fight even starts. And then you got to perform. Because the guy, the guy or woman across from you is coming to kill you, and you know, or you're going to get killed. They're going to get killed. Yeah, and it's 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 like one of those things where, <clears throat> you know, you always make things out worse in your mind than they really are, right? And so, <laughs> you know, you're looking across the cage, and that person looks like they're like seven feet tall, three hundred twenty pounds, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Guess what? They're looking at you the same way, mm. right? It's the same thing. So just being a, being realistic and realizing like really what's going on in that moment, you know, kind of like stepping outside yourself for a second going, hey, wake up. You're all right. Everything's fine. You're going to be okay. Go forward, perform. But then what happens, an interesting thing happens in the cage or in the ring. And any fighter can tell you this. Um, once you touch gloves, once you land the first punch or kick, or once you get punched the first time or whatever, the feeling is you're just in the gym sparring hard again with your training partners. Yeah. It's the same feeling, right? It's just being able to harness that at that moment and realize that at moment, hey, I can perform. I can do this. I do this every day. I do this every day, right? It's like, uh, what is that? I think I think it's Hoosiers, the movie or something, where like Gene Hatman, he says something like, hey, you know, or who are the coaches? Like, hey, guys, they're going to play in that huge stadium, right? They're like, hey, I want you to measure the goal. All right. I want you to measure the floor. Measure the free throw line. Blah, blah blah. Is this any different from what it is back in our little place? No. Oh yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. <clears throat> it's the same. So it's just kind of like realizing that you're out there um, um, fighting somebody, but you fight in the gym every day, right? It's just it's not in front of a bunch of people and yelling and screaming and lights and music and all this kind of stuff. It's just where you put yourself mentally, and it's it's like that in life with everything. No matter what you do, first day you go to a job, right? Your first day walking in, you're a bundle of nerves, man. You go in and you look like the stupidest person ever. You're knocking stuff. Oh, excuse me. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just be able to harness that a little bit is all it is. And that's where experience comes in. Right. So when a fighter becomes more experienced and he's been through that process many more times, he becomes comfortable. You yeah. know, he becomes comfortable. You can't be too comfortable. You know, that fear is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Also, that fear, that healthy fear, that that that's what keeps you sharp also. Right. So every fighter feels fear. It's how do you deal with it that makes a difference. Now, how does a fighter deal with something that happened like with Usman when he fought um, uh, Leon Edwards? It's like he was winning the fight the whole time and then he got caught at the very end. Obviously, Leon had to throw the kick to catch him. But like, how do you deal with that afterwards? Have you ever had a fighter that was dominating and then got caught? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happens. It happened to me. Oh, did it really? Yeah. My second pro fight, man. I was dominant. I fought a guy named uh, Joe Dirksen, fought in the UFC also. Um, and I was I was winning the fight. I was kicking his ass and everything was going good and smooth. And, and for me, I got comfortable. Mm. I was like, all right, you know, I'm not going to finish this guy, but I put it on him pretty hard. And I know the bell is going to be coming soon and uh, to the end of the fight. And it was like two minutes to the end of the fight. And uh, I just got... I don't know, lazy, lazadaisical thing. He couldn't do anything to me. I put my hand on the mat when I shouldn't. He reached up from the guard and come toward me, you know, second pro fight. And, uh, you know, it, that happens. And so I'm not saying that's what happened in that particular fight. Yeah. Um, I just think, man, you know, sometimes it's just not your day. You know, things happen. You might uh, weather a kick like that, you know, 99 times, but it just takes that one, mm-hmm. you know. 
So I think that's what happened, man. He's so talented. He's going to be back. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. They're fighting again soon, aren't they? Mm, I don't know. So I thought they had a rematch scheduled. Maybe. Yeah. All the UFC news has been dominated by Dana White <laughs> lately. Oh, so man. Every time you see anything UFC, that's where the do- that's so dominated by that. Where so. you at with that? What do you think about that? With him smacking? Well, his wife smacked him, and then he smacked his wife back. Yeah. And I guess maybe she, maybe she fell or he pushed her. I don't know. I don't. I, don't know, I wasn't there, but. I I thought this whole time that Endeavor was going to cut him. Like they were like, "Hey, Lemay, look, we we have to distance ourselves from that." They they didn't do nobody did shit to him about it. I, I can say this: I'm disappointed Endeavor didn't at least release some sort of big statement. Yeah, about the address. They haven't even addressed this. In no, at all. like it like it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Hey, just another Tuesday. You know, whatever. Um, I, I'm disappointed in Endeavor not saying something about it. Um, that's disappointing. Um. I'm disappointed in Dana that he did that. Um, I, I I think it's a private matter with yeah. he and his family more than anything else. That's a private matter with he and his family. Um, I did like the fact that Dana came. He didn't run from it. He didn't shy away from it. He came right out. And he was contrite. He was apologetic. He was like, that should have never happened. Um, it, he looks extremely bad because he has said before, oh, that's unforgivable. That's the kiss of death. You ever do something like that and blah, 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 blah. Well, he did it. Yeah. Okay. There's no kiss of death for him. Right. But uh, so that's a little disheartening, too. um, And it makes it even worse. And then combine that with a new fucking slap league. Also, it's like, dude, the timing's horrible, man. You know, Um, so have you seen some of the clips or did you watch that slap? God, I won't. I don't watch that shit, man, bro. That's not to me. That's not entertaining. No, it's not. This one guy. Got smacked. His face his, was, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> his face was looking like this big, like swollen, like six inches off his face. I'm like, what the fuck? You ever seen the Goonies? Right? <laughs> Dude, like sloth, man. Yeah, I was like, holy fuck. Oh, man. But see, at first, TBS had said they're dropping, they're not gonna, they're not gonna televise it. They want to distance themselves because it's Dana White owned, you know, or whatever. But here it is on TV. And no, they just they just postponed it one week. Oh, yeah. Oh, people will forget about it like one hey, week. It's more than Endeavor did, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah, to answer your question, do I watch the hell? No. <laughs> That's the stupidest shit I've ever seen. I can't believe that, like, I, I just can't, I can't. I can't believe the Nevada Athletic Commission sanctioned it. That's what I can't believe. Because, look, a promoter is going to promote. If he can make money doing yeah. something, if there's something he can promote and he's like, hey, we're going to make money on this. Mm-hmm. People are going to buy sponsorships or people are going to buy, you know, uh, commercial time or pay-per-views or whatever the case, right? They're a promoter. They're in the business of making money off of promotion. That's what they do. Okay. What's shocking to me is the Nevada Athletic Commission actually sanctioned it as a legitimate regulated sport activity to be monetized. I'm like, holy crap. What is the prize? What do they win? Money. I smash you harder, I guess. I mean, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some of the, and I've seen like some on Instagram, like before the slap league became what it is, and there was like another league in like Russia or something. Dude, those people did not look right when they walking out of their arena. I mean, I'm like, yeah, because I know Logan Paul and I think uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger had started a league together. Yeah, and Schwarzenegger then, likes to sit there and watch it like on the stage. Have you seen a couple of clips? And he's like sitting there going, oh, <laughs> that looked like that hurt. Well, like, you know, if you hit him good enough, you're knocking him out. Oh, yeah. I saw and two people from that slap league that got knocked, knocked out. Knocked out, yeah. Like, that's not safe, right? Cause, and they're getting right back up. So one guy got knocked out. Oh, so once you get knocked down, you're still fighting? Yeah, so he they, they came to him. They they helped him back up. Well, he got back up pretty much by himself, and he was wobbly. And then I think it continued. The clip ended, but I think they they think it continued. 
Oh, that's they let him go crazy. after he got knocked out. I think so. I'll find the clip and I'll send it to you guys. But I've, oh, I've seen maybe, but I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the clip up to where because it ends uh, to where he's walking back to like the, I guess the podium or whatever it's called, like where right. they stand. And like, yeah, I was like, uh, people, someone's gonna die. Yeah, Ooh, that's yeah. rough, man. Dude, here's what's interesting to me. It's like most people I talk to about it are they have the same. Like opinion, like that's fucking stupid. I'm yeah. not going to watch that. Stupid. Who who are the fans out there watching it? Who are these people that are like, I got to tune in to the light of slap fest? <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, they're drinking this. They're drinking bush. <laughs> yeah, they're drinking cases of bush line of the sitting. Man, let me in there, man. Oh, I just texted uh, our buddy that owns uh, Mood and Co earlier. Yeah, I was like, hey, what are you up to, man? And he was there. He's there hunting or something. And I was like, you better be drinking Bush Light. Because I asked him a question. He goes, oh, man, that's a Monday answer question. I got to think that's a thinking question. No, okay. I got drunk brain on the head right now. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, all yeah. we do is drink Bush Light. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> you know? But I was like, damn, yeah. man. So yeah. if you had to do it again, would you fight today? Uh, like if I was just getting started, let's say I was 19 or 20 years old yeah. today. Uh yeah, probably. Just, you know, when you're young, you want to challenge yourself and, uh, you know, and I love the sport nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I will say this, though. Um, get involved today in the sport of mixed martial arts is not even close to the thrill it was back then. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Today, guys are much more skilled. Today, today guys are, are, are in better shape. They're stronger, faster, everything, right? They recover better. Um, you know, it's evolved to that point. My point in saying that is back then we were doing something special yeah. that nobody else was doing. Like it was something really special. It was like it had a feeling of like we were like underground doing something crazy. Like, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and so it was a really tight, I guess, tribe back then. Like I knew, you know, most of the guys that were fighters in the South anyway, I knew them personally and we would train together and hang out and, you know, see each other at shows. And um, the jujitsu community was the same way and stuff. Because it was a special thing. You know, nobody knew about this stuff back then. In fact, most people I would talk to be like, what is it you do? <laughs> Box? Kar- oh, yeah. My, is that wrestling? My 10-year-old's a black belt. You know, and, and, and that was the mentality. Yeah, people, yeah. people didn't know. Or they'd be like, oh, that's outrageous. I've seen that. That should be outlawed. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's. I'll tell you an interesting story real quick, because um, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, do you know that at one point in time, that the UFC was about this close from being being gone? Yeah. Did you know that? I watched the thing about it. That's the only reason I know. Completely gone, but there's a reason why that, that all that had happened back then. Uh, you know, it got taken off the pay-per-view, you know, for a while, and that was like almost a kiss of death. Mm. You could only get it on satellite back then, you know, when you had to have the, like, big flying saucer satellites in your backyard. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. And so it would almost die off. And the reason it did was uh, this is kind of interesting. Um, so the boxing was feeling the heat from it because UFC numbers were going up and it was becoming popular. It was getting some traction and it was going to start taking market share away from boxing. Right. At the time. And you got to think back then they didn't work harmoniously together at all. They mm-hmm. still don't in some ways. But yeah. it was like, you know, they were mortal enemies, boxing, the boxing community and, and MMA. And uh well, the biggest sponsor of boxing back then, maybe still today, is Anheuser-Busch, right? So you see the Budweiser logo on all the rings, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, um, one of the executives of Anheuser-Busch, um, or the Bush family, the Anheuser-Busch family, uh, John McCain, you know, Senator John McCain, mm-hmm. who passed away, his wife was part of that Bush family. Oh, okay. So guess who 
the politician was a legislator who was pounding the gavel the hardest and coming out publicly and saying, this is human cockfighting. This is terrible. This is this, that other thing. It needs to be banned in all the states, right? And he had a lot of influence. Guess yeah. who that guy was? John McCain, right? Damn. What a coincidence. Right. He's protecting the interest of Anheuser-Busch yeah. and boxing and all that. Damn. And so all the states fell in line like, yeah, we're banning this. So that was when UFC was only like, you, like uh, you know, Alabama and, you know, Louisiana and yeah. Mississippi. That was it. You couldn't you, you it was not sanctioned anywhere else. Right. It's because those those particular athletic commissions were very weak. Yeah. Right. And they needed the revenue. They didn't get a lot of like they weren't a big city. They didn't have like a lot of big shows. Come there like, well, yeah, we'll take it down here. No problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's cool because yeah. it kept it alive. It kept it alive. But that's the reason why the UFC almost went away. And so going back to the UFC and 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 Dana White for Ted is on. We, we have a lot to thank them for because they're the ones that brought it from the ashes, man into where it is today. And that started with educating the public about it. This is not some violent human cockfighting. These are guys are athletes. Mm -hmm. And this is very technical. There's a lot that goes into it in preparation. These are normal people too, you know? And they're the ones that put their ass in the wind and their money on the line. And they ran to regulation. They went out there and they got it sanctioned. They went and met personally with like these commissions and state legislators and stuff like that. They showed them the kind of economic impact it would have on these different cities and stuff like that. So we have a lot to thank those guys for, a yeah. lot. So I want people to understand both sides of this, all right? All the sacrifices that's been put in in the past to get it to where it is today, right? Because we kind of going back to that fighter pay question a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to be even handed with it, too. You mm -hmm. have to understand the history as well. So if that makes sense. No, that definitely makes sense right there. Because like you said, it give it gave a lot of people jobs. Like I know a lot yeah. of people talk shit about Dana White or UFC, but there would not be these other organizations without that. I mean, there, Nick would not have done V3 fights if there was no UFC. Yeah. By, by the way, I got to tell you guys, I miss V3. It was a, it was was a good awesome. time. It that was, was an awesome, awesome promotion. Yeah, Those nights at Minglewood, man, the crowd would be like... Tearing the roof off that place, man. The music and everything. Yeah. That was a good time. I want to ask y'all a question. Can I can I can I flip the script on y'all a little bit? Go for yeah. It. Do you mind? No. Okay. I don't know a ton about you guys, but I do know this. It seems like y'all know and everybody knows. You know every every player in Memphis and everybody knows y'all. How in the world do y'all know everybody in Memphis and everybody knows y'all? Well, How is that? Well, we became friends. Like long time ago, right? Tony and I, and we would go out, and then we became friends with like Nick, and that's how we knew each other. Mm -hmm. And Nick would always, Nick was kind of the one like, "Hey, let's go here, let's go here, let's go do this." And Eubank, our friend Shoebank, was kind of the same way. And then everybody started running together. And then when somebody happened to do this, we went to go support it. And then Nick started throwing parties with our friend Twitch, and you know it just get me snowball. And then yeah, John then, John Twitch Arroyo. By yeah, the way, yeah. a bad motherfucker in the game he's in now. Oh, yeah. He video. is. Yeah, yeah. I work with him doing stuff also. He he helps me with oh, stuff. I do see your videos on TikTok. Dude. Yeah. He's incredible. Right. He's so good at what he does. I told him, say that, John. You fucking suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, but. um. So, yeah, we just became. And, you know, we're just. I feel that Tony and Nick and Eubank. And myself, we're just nice to everybody. Yeah, we don't we don't shy anybody away from coming hanging I mean, out. Does it have us. a lot to do with like the bar club scene? Y'all kind of like we're like deep in that back in the day, and y'all kind of yeah. know it right from that. Okay, we okay. went. We used to go out every day. Okay, so that's how we became friends with a lot of people. I see. Okay, yeah, because everybody I know knows y'all. <laughs> they know who y'all are yeah. and stuff. And so, all right, cool. I was wondering about that. Then V three, 
you had a role in V3. You were the ticket guy. I was ticket guy and director of operations. Dur- Get oh, it right. <laughs> Mr. Get it right. Mr. Mr. Director of operations. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, so pretty much. this card that said that and everything? I did. did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's official, dude. Thank you. Gotcha. All right. And, uh, so, um, so I did this, I did the seating chart. I did the v- venue bills and, um, you know, they always make fun of me. They're like, how many chairs did you carry one time? <laughs> so like, but no, I did that. And I had a crew of a couple of people that would help me build the cage and stuff. But there for the longest time, it was just me that knew how to put the cage together. And then I started teaching this other people. And then Edward Lucas happened to be part of that friend group of theirs. And then he started learning. And then he, <clears throat> so then long story short, we would build everything out in like eight hours, you know, and then break it down uh, i didn't break it down they broke it down well hey man thank you you always were like awesome to me and and my guys like dude i could call you up on like four hours notice hey man can you help me out with this and you would always answer your phone you'd always be on the spot so man thank you for all that oh no doubt bro that's yeah, what i, I was supposed that. to do you know like yeah. nick always be like you're running that you if you think that if they, it's legit let them in or whatever you know or get rid right. of a wristband for whatever they need the back of the house or whatever to take care of it i'm like all right you don't and the first when we first started doing it and when we first started taking off you know but hey nick this guy's calling but you know they're sending me a message but like all right you just need to start handling it all yourself i'm way too busy doing this other shit right like all right yeah you run a promotion will keep you busy <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts to it a lot. Y'all had a great team, though. Y'all's team mm-hmm. worked so well together to pull those off show after show after show. How many shows total did V3 uh, do? It was 87. Gosh, damn. Yeah, 87. It's a lot. Well, you started in 2009, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Those at, some at, the, at newbies. Yeah. Those were some of the best parties, though. Like, it was a party. Oh, yeah, 100%. Everybody in the community would come together and kind of hang out and get to see all your friends. Well, and, like, so... Um, at Minglewood, they were charging Nick. I forget how much it was to rent it, you know. But then Nick was like, "If how you know you guys make a lot of money on the bar, right? You know, you, you drinks and food. How about if if I hit this much in alcohol sales, the rent starts. You know, we go down on the rent." And they were like, "You know, I go drink this much fucking alcohol." And long story short. It, probably get those numbers every time. I bet. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, like it's a drinking crowd, man. Oh, one hundred percent. I remember one time, like the V three tab was like six hundred dollars, and you know, I don't know how it got there, but it got there. Yeah, and yeah. so you know, that's just us, me, Nick, and a couple of other people. You know, like I mean, it got it, we spent a lot of money in there, and thankfully Trey and then let us use that venue. I mean, they would let us keep the cage up sometimes till like Tuesday of the next week. What's going on with Minglewood right now? So it's owned by uh, a group out of Nashville. So pretty much they're running it the same way. They, you know, they have concerts. So when you walk into Minglewood, uh, JD, who used to own Minglewood with his brother Trey, and then Trey bought JD out. JD has um, B-side inside of the hall. Okay. And yeah. then you have eight. And then you, when you go into like the, into Minglewood, that's where they have the concerts. And 1884 has concerts too. But uh, they're still doing shows and stuff. I saw one... Like, you know, it's not a, I don't know if they're doing as many or frequently as they were when it was mingle with Trey, but they're still, they're definitely still running it. Okay. Okay. Did you, Tony, you, what was your role in V3? Did you have a role in V3? Tony's an investor. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just did judge. Director of investments, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did buy a PVC pipe for one time. I never got my money back for that, but no, uh, I just did judging. Gotcha. Look, okay. this is how bad it was. This is how, this is how 
green we were all were doing this. We had to go to Lowe's or Home Depot, one of the two. I think it was Lowe's. To get PVC piping so we could put it on the tables to make the tables taller. Because that was at... Uh, <laughs> newbies. Yeah, newbies. Because yes. the floor was... The, the floor, floor, yeah, the floor <laughs> sloped, I remember. Hey, I've got, a, I've got a newbie story. Yeah, go ahead. About a riot. What? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so, this is before, way before V3. This is, uh, man, 99 maybe? 99, 2000, something like that. Um, Jeff Mullen threw a show there one time. So Jeff Mullen used to do uh, at the Daisy, Mm -hmm. right? And then every once in a while, he'd sprinkle in like a newbie show. I think he had like three or four newbie shows or something like that. For whatever reason, maybe like the weekend he wanted to do it, there was a concert there or something. I don't know. Well, one time he threw a show at uh, at newbies in the you know they used to have the the um, concert side or whatever. Yeah, and uh, so he had the ring up. Well, uh, Mike Powell, who I talked about earlier, um, had a uh, kickboxing match against a guy named Mister Silk. Do you remember Daryl Mister Silk from Jeff Mullins? He was a kickboxer. He kickboxed around Memphis Maybe for a I while. Saw his face, I remember you talking about. Yeah, his nickname was Mister Silk because he was <laughs> he was silky, silky, silky smooth in the ring, you know. And uh, so Mike was an MMA fighter, but Mike decided, yeah, I'll do a kickboxing match against Silk. And uh, so they started fighting. And, uh, of course, a lot of people were there. It was mostly like fighters and people that knew the fighters or whatever. And uh, they started fighting. Well, I was cornering Mike. And so I was standing in his corner and uh, and Mr. Silk kept like holding the ropes. Like he'd get Mike up in the corner and just like hold the rope because Mike was kind of opening up on him a little bit. Right. Yeah. And Silk was like a little bit surprised. So he was wanting to kind of slow the action down a little bit. So he'd hold the ropes. Right. We're not supposed to hold the ropes. But the referee, I don't know, he couldn't see it or whatever. So I would be like, hey, he's holding the ropes, ref, because I would be sitting down, you know, down here of the raised ring. So I'm pointing up going, hey, he's holding the ropes. He's holding the ropes. Did that a couple of times. Then, you know, like the third time Silk came Brought Mike back into the corner, held the rope, pointed again. Well, Silk then leaned his head out the, the between the bottom and second rope and took a swing at me. Like, Damn. literally, his, his glove went, whew. I mean, just 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 got my whiskers, you know? And uh, so I hopped up on the ring, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mike grabbed Silk, walked him across the ring to the other corner, like picked him up and walked the ring, got up like almost like on the rope, like you see pro wrestling, took his teeth, took his glove off, Barefisted and started beating Silk, oh, and then threw, somebody threw a bottle against the wall. Then people started getting in the ring, right? Wow. And then bottles started being thrown, and somebody threw a chair in the ring, and it was a full blown riot. Dude, and so there was this awesome, yes, full blown riot, and it was like crazy. And then somebody screamed, somebody called the cops. The cops are coming. They could hear sirens coming down Highland. <laughs> Do we all bolted out of the newbies van, hopped in the car, and took off? But that, that was there was a huge ride at newbies, wow. man. Yeah, I've got a lot of crazy fight stories, but uh, that was one of the craziest. <laughs> Did you have a lot of street fights? No, man. Uh, in high school, yeah. But uh, since I've been a fighter, I've been man. I'm proud to say I'm proud to say I've been in one fight outside the ring or cage, only one since I was 18 years old. Mm. One. I'm very proud to say that I, I've always been able to defuse the situation somehow. And, you know, if it came about, but, uh, the one time I, I've been in a fight, um, was at a casino actually. <laughs> it's the Beau Rivage, Biloxi, <laughs> Mississippi. Yeah. I was banned for a year, by the way. <clears throat> so do a lot of people try to test you when they find that you're a fighter? Uh, back in the day, they would. They would. Not now. They no, didn't know what the, know. they didn't know what the ears looked meant. <laughs> they didn't know what those meant back then. Nobody knew what that was. They're like, hey, "What's up with the guy's ears? Go fuck him up. Let's go fuck him up. Fucking weirdo." And then they found out really quick what the ears meant. 
Oh, back in the day, man, there were a lot of tough guys. Yeah, you know, like they didn't know about the sport or what, what like what you knew or didn't. No, yeah, you'd get tested, dude. I've had, I've had people call me everything in the book. You yeah. know, before, yeah, yeah. I used to be a doorman too. Oh, okay, I was a doorman at Melange. Remember Melange and Cooper Young? Every Sunday night, they'd have oh a my DJ God, spinning. Yes. Yeah, they'd have a DJ spinning and stuff. I was oh, a doorman. Yeah, yeah. Melange, where, where that Mexican restaurant is now. That's yeah, right. That's yeah. right. Margaritas. Yeah. God. Dave Nestler owned the place, yeah. and uh, so I was a doorman for two years there. You know, never got in one fight, man. Not one. And that place would be like crazy, Pat. man. Pat, crazy, yeah. What was it called at the Melange? Was it Dish? Dish, dish. Yeah, yeah, Dish, yeah. yeah. It was Dish. Yeah, because yep. we used to go there. Twitch and I would always go on up Sunday up nights, on Sunday man. Nights. And it was, dude, it was awesome. Yeah, there'd be lines out the door, man. People yeah. trying to get in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a cool place. Yeah. So no, I mean one fight, one fight, uh, and, and since I was eighteen years old, outside the ringer cage. Yep. Proud to say it. Impressive. <laughs> Yeah, I remember these two guys, I'm not going to say their names, but they would go around with mouthpieces, and then they would start pick fights with people, and then they put the mouthpieces in. <laughs> oh, you mean, you mean, you mean Smitty? <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, he tried that shit at Melange one night, you know, like, I was like, dude, put your mouthpiece away. <laughs> in fact, I saw, let me tell you, I saw, dude, Smitty was like the toughest motherfucker, though, man. And he was Just so like, nice, calm, Nice though. guy, but dude, he was tough. Yeah. I'm talking like physically tough. Yeah. Uh, one night I watched him, man, in front of Melange. There had been like a, uh, some kind of party there, like they would have dinner parties, and then once it hit like, you know, nine o'clock, it was like club time, right? Yeah. And uh, so some of dinner party, they had, they had like an ice sculptor um, come out and just ice sculpt something, right? So this big, huge ice sculpt thing. And when they were done, they just said, well, just put it on the sidewalk, let it melt or yeah. whatever. So it was sitting out on the sidewalk. And Smitty came up with Jace McDonald. And <laughs> they came up. <laughs> and uh, they, we were, I mean, they were cool. They were talking, yeah. whatever. And, I, and somebody, I can't remember who said it. Somebody said something to me like, hey, man, but you can't break that by kicking it. You know, Smitty liked to lay his legs, his shins, and everything. Yeah. And he, started, he started kicking that ice sculpt. Boom, 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 boom. <sighs> Broke that damn thing. I was like, damn. It was a solid block of ice, man. I believe it. It was crazy. I could not believe what I saw. I know? only did Muay Thai one time, and I went against him, and he kicked me in my oh, leg. Now and I, I know like, it's one time. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this is not for me. Yeah. He, like I said, he was such a nice guy, though, man. You would never think. And you would think he was, like, really smart, too, I want to say. Yeah. But like you would never think that he would be the type to put a mouthpiece in and go fight people in the street. But yeah. sure enough, would people man. would test you back in the day though, man? They would. They would. They would want to test you. You know? Oh yeah, you do what? <laughs> man. I watch that shit. Yeah. Let me show you what I do. Okay. So do y'all have a lot of fighters today? Like they're still competing in is- Memphis Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of Rambo just won the CFFC. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask you about that, dude. That was one of the best, one of the best scraps I've ever seen. Unbelievable five round war, man. Showed so much heart and determination, and skill, and dude, Rambo's a special fighter. Jaleel just won a huge fight on Bellator, a huge fight. He was the big underdog on. He came out there and like dominated his opponent. Um, yeah, we got we got a lot of lot of pros and amateur fighters that fight all the time. Yeah, Jaleel's awesome. got another one coming up, right? Didn't he just sure sign does. one? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, when, do you think uh, Rambo's going to get signed by the UFC this year? I saw an article right up about this, actually. They were talking about Rambo. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, th- I think he's got a good chance of being signed. I think the UFC will want him, uh, yeah. whether he ends up going to the UFC or, you know, Bellator is offering more money for a lot of guys. So some guys are opting for the money mm-hmm. as opposed to going to UFC. Um, you know, I think whatever the best opportunity for Rambo that comes up, 
um, is he'll, he'll take and his, his manager will, will work it out with him. But uh, do I think that he'll at least uh, be wanted by the UFC and offer? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Dude, what? If you're the UFC, why wouldn't you want a guy like that? You saw how he performed at CFFC. Yeah. The amount of heart and determination and, and skill and just, just, just grit he showed. Dude, any promotion would want that on their card. Yeah. You know? So. What do y'all look for in a fighter? Man, you know, uh, I'm going to tell you my opinion, but the that, that question is best answered by the staff of coaches, man. Dude, I've got an amazing, amazing staff of coaches that they do the work with the guys, not me. Yeah. Right? Um, I just make sure the floors are swept and, you know, there's enough <laughs> toilet paper in the bathroom, you know? These are the guys that do the hard work with the fighters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like Andy Urich is phenomenal coach. Trey Manley, Zach Underwood. You know, these guys um, are the ones that, that, that can identify talent. Um, you know, uh, what makes them, uh, put a guy in there for like, say their first fight, go, okay, I think this guy's got what it takes to do this. Um, it's really not so much. This guy's got what he takes. He's tough or whatever. It's more that he shows commitment. Mm -hmm. He's there at training. He shows up on time. He's got his equipment. He's dedicated, right? Um, he has a desire to be a fighter. Um, you know, they're not going to put it, no matter how talented a guy is, they're not going to allow a guy to go out there and fight. Who's maybe a talented athlete. Right and strong or whatever, or but like just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. He doesn't show up for practice. He leaves when he wants to. He you know he spars the way he wants to. He thinks he's whatever. Forget it, man. Go somewhere else. Other teams will take you. Yeah, you know. But uh, that's that's not what we do at Memphis Jiu Jitsu. You know those, those coaches are um, they're they're they want to see disciplining guys and stuff. Um, you know you got to earn your opportunity, kind of thing. You know, not only that, but if you let some guys slide and you make different rules for different guys, then the whole machine falls apart, mm -hmm. you know, so that culture has been built by these coaches in such a, a way that, you know, guys want to do the extra. They want to work hard because they see the other guys doing it, too. So. So how long do they usually make somebody wait before they give them a fight? Like somebody that's just been training. Um, there's a lot of, it depends on a lot of factors. Uh, there's not a, like a set amount of time. Depends on how much they can train. Cause some people do have other commitments in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they have like two kids and they have a job and they, whatever, you know, it might take them longer to get to that point where they can have their first fight. Whereas opposed to somebody who doesn't have all those commitments or whatever, um, six months to eight months, you know, um, maybe a year depends on your background too. If you come from a, like a strong, uh, wrestling background, like let's say you wrestled all, all four years in high school or whatever, well, you've got a pretty good base mm -hmm. to start with there might not take you as long, you know, but if you're a guy who comes in that you're not super athletic, you haven't really done a whole lot of sports, but Hey, you have a, a passion for this. You want to do this it might take you a little bit longer to get there, yeah. you know? So just, there's so many different factors that go into it, but I would say the number one factor, the number one thing is, 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 is commitment and doing the right things day in and day out. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you something interesting too. This is uh, this is a question I've gotten a few times from young guys, right? Um, you know, and and because people always kind of wonder, like, you know, what does it take to become like a pro fighter? You know, how do I get to be a pro fighter? Like, what what's the most important thing? What's the number one thing I should do? Right? Hey, coach, can you tell me this? Right? And I have all these young guys that'll say, you know, I you know what's what's the hack here? Right? Well. Here's what I always say to them. I say, okay, well, well, what do you think the most important thing is? Now, I'm going to ask y'all, what do y'all think the most important thing is a guy should do or be conscious of or work towards to become a successful pro fighter? What do y'all think it is? What's the answer? Is he showing up to the gym? That's important. But that's not the most important thing. It's a good guess, though. I would say mental. That's another good guess, but that's not the most important thing at all. Uh, give, me, give me one more clue. 
Give me, give us a clue. It has nothing to do with fighting. Is it maybe about how he treats other people around him? Uh, kind of, sort of. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Okay. Here's the answer I give all these young guys. The most important thing that you need to focus on, the most important thing that you need to do, that you need to put number one to have any shot of becoming a pro fighter is get your personal life in order and keep it in order. Mm. That's the number one thing. Because how many guys, I've seen so many guys who have so much talent, promise, whatever, and then they're missing training. Why are they missing training? Oh, they got their car repossessed. Well, what happened to someone? I haven't seen him in a couple months. Oh, he went to jail. Mm. What happened with this? Oh, he knocked a girl up. What happened to him over here? Oh, well, he's like smoking weed every day and playing World of Warcraft, right? Whatever, okay? They don't have any stability in their life. They don't have any transportation. They're doing drugs. They're drinking too much, yeah. right? They're not focused on the right things. They don't have a job. They can't pay their gym dues. They can't put gas in their car, right? All of those personal life issues get in the way of you even like training. Yeah. How are you going to become a pro fighter if you can't handle your personal life first? That's number one. Mm-hmm. Get your personal life in order. And so some of these young guys look at me like, huh? I didn't think about that. Well, yeah, start thinking about it, dude. Yeah. Because time, the clock's ticking. <laughs> you don't want to be 30 years old and you still don't have your personal life in order. You know, forget the pipe dream of become a pro- professional fighter, right? You need to start now. If you're a young guy, get your life in order. Get your life in order. Do the right things. Be disciplined, right? And then you have a pretty good shot of making it. Now, have you noticed a lot of guys that were kind of just chaotic and then they got into mixed martial arts and it kind of put structure in their life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that's about passion, right? Yeah. So it depends on, it doesn't have to be mixed martial arts. When a young guy finds, some, finds something that he's passionate about, something that he wants to be driven to do, then whatever it takes to get there, he'll do. Yeah. You know, if that means he's got to get his personal life in order so he can make it to the gym and train and be on time and make sure his nutrition's right, he's got to have money to buy good groceries, right? Got So, hey, he has to keep a job. He can't act all, you know fuck off at a job and act silly. So yeah, uh, that passion for whatever he's wanting to pursue, which could be mixed martial arts, um, has a positive effect in the rest of his life. Yeah. So, yeah, I think like having like a goal or something to look forward to is something that we all need. Yeah. If you're just floating through the wind and have nothing, like why even get up in the morning? And we all have to have a passion, man. Yeah. You you have to have a passion. You, You do. What keeps you, you know, like you say, well, why do you get out of bed in the morning? Because there's something that drives you. Yeah. There's something that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that, that could be many different things, you know, that, that drive a person. Yeah. Um, I think as you get older, though, um, you know, you figure it out along the way, whatever that passion is. Right. Um, but I think for a young person, that's where it's really, really hard being yeah. young because you maybe quite haven't figured out yet. I mean, I, I'll tell you this, man. I, I I got lucky. I got, dude, I got so lucky, man. It's luck, pure stroke of luck, man, that my buddy invited me over to watch UFC that one night. I found my passion at 19 years old. Mm. I found my passion. The minute I saw it, I like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be involved in this somehow, some way, mm. right? I don't want to do anything else. This is what I want to do. And I've been lucky enough to be able to do so. I'm 48 now, you know, but I was lucky. Like he, I didn't have to go over there and watch that or see that. I might've had a whole different experience or outlook on it or whatever. And I could have been doing something else. So, you know, just find what you're passionate about. That thing that like sparks you and pursue it with all you have. That's it. Now did 19 year old think, you would be where you're at today? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, dude. No, 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 no. Not at all. Not what do you all. what do you think your younger self would have thought Dave today would have been doing? Uh at forty eight? Yeah. Man, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Uh I mean I was in 
you know, business school. I was in school, you know, well, I think at 19, I was like doing prereqs, something like that, but, um, you know, get a degree. Uh, well, I'll say this at that time, uh, my goal was at that time, I'm going to get a degree in international business, right? Because at the time, university of Memphis, I don't know if it's still the same way um, now, but, uh, they had an incredible international business program there because it was sponsored by FedEx. They had the mm-hmm. FedEx Institute there, all that kind of stuff, and um, AutoZone and stuff like that. International paper were all involved in that, and so the 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 international business program was one of the most esteemed undergrad programs and master's programs in all the nation, right? And so I was like, all right, I'll do that. I'll probably work for FedEx or something like that or international paper and just move up the corporate ladder, get to travel. That was a big thing I wanted to do. I wanted to travel and see the world and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, because my father got to travel a lot with what he was doing. So I wanted to kind of follow his footsteps and just see the world and travel. And so I probably would have pursued that. Probably ended up getting a master's degree in international business and gone on to work for, like, say, FedEx or international paper or AutoZone or something like that. And then... um just moved up, the, the, done the corporate dance, you know, like everybody else. But I'm so glad I didn't do that. <laughs> you know, I really don't think anytime if if you ask that question to somebody else, like whatever, you know, what do you, was your younger self think you were doing whatever? If they say yeah or there, I don't. That's bullshit. I think. Like, how would you even know what you're going to be doing in the future? Like, you know, I know you can think about what you want to do, but you know, life happens. If you say, hey, I want to be the 185 UFC champion and you were when you're 19 years old and then you get a girl pregnant at 20 or 21, that's probably not going to happen because you're not gonna have any money to go train or, you know, or whatever it is. No, that's exactly right. But I mean, you know, uh, that's not to say though, Raul, that you shouldn't have a, a dream, right? You right. shouldn't have a, a pursuit. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have a goal. You need to have those things, whether they're realistic or not, whatever. You need to have some realism also. I mean, you know, if you're five foot two, you're probably not going to play in the NBA. You know what I mean? You have to be a little <laughs> oh, yeah, bit yeah, realistic yeah, yeah. about some of your your goals, right? Well, unless you're Spud Webb. I guess you can. <laughs> I was going to say Spud Webb was yeah. like, what, 5'1"? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and dude could dunk too, man. Yeah, that, that's just it's insane. insane. I know, I know. But, you know, that's a rarity, man, a very <laughs> rare situation. But, um, you know, point being, man, like, dude, find your passion. And, and you know, oftentimes your passion is just recognizing things. It's like, you know, you don't have to go out there and like, I'm going to go try everything and see what I'm passionate about. It's just sometimes like just, you know, what drives you, you know, what, what, what are you, what are you interested in? You know, because what you don't want to happen, man, see, um, regret is a really hard thing. Mm-hmm. That's a really hard emotion. That's a really hard because the reason regret so hard, man, is because it's something that lasts you the rest of your life. Right. Some things you get over, some emotions you get over. Anger, you can get over that. I'm angered the situation today, but I forgot about it a year from now, right? There's a lot of emotions that that come and go, but regret something that lingers, you know? So I would say a lot of young people, man, just don't, don't, it's hard to understand what regret feels like, um, but you don't want to feel it. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be that guy who's like sitting on the bar stool, you know, having your, you know, your Bud Light and you're sitting next to a guy and y'all are like 62 years old and you're like, you know, I could have been a pro fighter one, you know, back then, you know, I could have been, you know, if this, that other thing, and then you blame things other than yourself yeah. and blah, 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 man, there, there's bars littered with those guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, and they, they carry regret. They do because they didn't give it their all. Cause you can always hold your head high. If you gave your all to something, whether you achieved it or not, doesn't matter. That's not really what matters is you gave your all to something. Yeah. Right. And the pursuit of it and along the way, the journey, all that kind of stuff, you can always walk away going, man, I, I gave my best shot to it. I did all I could. No regrets. All good. Yeah. I'd rather fail 
with trying than not try at all. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know, and that's something, man, that like it's that's a self prod thing. You know, that's not being prod full. That's mm-hmm. different. Right. But that's having enough pride in yourself to to realize, hey, you know, I'm 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 worthy enough to give my all to something mm-hmm. to, to try at least. You know what I mean? Because really, that's all anybody's looking for. They're looking for somebody who's willing to try their hardest at something. You and know? I wonder sometimes is it people like outside influences are stopping people. They're like worried about somebody else's opinion of them. So that's why they don't try. But yeah. it's like at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter what that person's opinion is going to be of you because you have to live with that shame later on that you didn't do something. No, that's that, that that's exactly right. Yeah. And don't let other people. I mean, all that I'm saying, I mean, you, you can you hear it a million times. Right. Yeah. And it's in all these memes and this, that and thing. But a lot of this is true. This is this is hard truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. You know, you shouldn't care what other people think about you. Mm-hmm. Right. You you really shouldn't. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, it's like uh, your reputation is important. Right. But your reputation is what other people think about you. Your reputation is what other people think about you. Right. What you think about yourself, that needs to be your character. Yeah. Right. What's your character? Like, who are you really? Right. Who are you really? Because your reputation, people can put on a facade. You're talking about Instagram and talking about all the social media. Right. Mm -hmm. Your reputation is is like paper. Right. It's paper thin. Right. And it's really hard to keep that that facade up and stay kind of hidden and all that kind of stuff. Your character is what is inside of you. So do you have enough character to pursue your goals and your dreams and all this kind of stuff, whatever? Or are you going to let your reputation dictate what you're going to do or not do because what other people think about you? Yeah. Right. Fuck that. What do you think about like people that don't keep their word to themselves? Like, would you trust somebody that didn't keep their word to themselves? Um, hmm. That's an interesting question. Would I trust somebody who doesn't keep their word to themselves? Um, yeah, because everybody's in a different place at different times. Mm-hmm. Just because you don't keep your word to yourself at one point doesn't mean you you can't you don't have the ability to do it. Yeah. Right. So I'm not going to like distrust them for that. Right. Um, I don't think that's really a trust thing more than, hey, do I still want to um, help that person motivate or motivate them or or support them or prop them up or whatever? That's a decision you have to make at that point. But I don't think that makes them a good person or a bad person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think I would be kind of leery of like, if you don't believe in yourself enough or whatever your mental block is, like, why would I trust myself in you? Right. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, but I think that's a, that's kind of like a case by case basis situation, yeah. you know, cause everybody's different. I mean, if you have somebody who, you know, is out there going, Hey man, I'm going to do this, you know, meet me there, man. You know, and you, and the guy didn't show up yeah. or something like that. You know, he doesn't keep, keep commitment to you or himself or whatever. Yeah. And he does that like 10 times in a row. Then you're like, yeah, man, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, yeah, it's different. I would think like eventually, like if you say you're going to do something you don't do, you become like the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, well, yeah, for and sure. People are like, well, why sure. would I believe anything that you wanted? And to me personally, like that would be motivating to me be like, well, fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong or at least like so you can't. Shut me up. Yeah. Shut them up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, but you know, again, that's, 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 you know, having pride enough in yourself though. Yeah. The kind of thing, you know? And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, a lot of people put pressure on themselves and they just like, they live that pressure and they, that's their like daily thing is that pressure and pressure and pressure. 
But if oftentimes that pressure is they make promises themselves or they promises to others or they want to do something, but they just can't quite do it. They procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate. Then they get like down about it and all that kind of stuff. Right. And it just makes that much, much more. It makes it much harder to get going. Dude, just go. Just go. Mm -hmm. Just go. If there's something you want to do, go. You know, it's like uh, what's the best time to start? Whatever it is, not right now, right? Right now is the best time to start, yeah. right? Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Just do it. And I'll then just, start tomorrow. I'll do it Monday. Yeah, <laughs> just, 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 just do it, man. That consistency of whatever it is you're wanting to pursue, yeah, um, is so important, man. And that comes out of discipline too. You know what I mean? Like, dude, there's a lot of areas in my life I I, I need to be more disciplined. In. Mm-hmm. I need to like, you know what I mean? Like, I beat myself up about it, kind of thing, right? Um, and so it's a daily struggle that never stops. It never stops. All right. It's daily. It's every day of your life. But you just have to choose what hard you want. Right. Yeah. There's two hards. Right. There's this hard. That's like, man, it's hard to get up early. Man, it's hard to save money. Man, it's hard to go to the gym. Man, it's hard to eat right. Man, it's hard to go train every day to become a fighter. That's all hard. It's hard. Right. But what's also hard is you not doing those things. Mm -hmm. And then you're like depressed you're down and you're anxious and you beat yourself up and you just want to sit in a dark room all day because you know what i mean you didn't do these things right so you choose your hard choose your hard yeah right and that's that's what life's about we have free will we can choose our hard so just have to choose your hard so young guys listen up man (laughs) if you're listening to this and there's something you want to pursue and there's something you want to do and you want and and you're you're passionate about it go go Mm -hmm. just go and do it you know, because when you wake up, you're not going to be 20 anymore. You're yeah, going to be 40. Yeah, but think about 50. how many how many times you, you're you going to do something and you just spend time like planning it and researching it mm. and looking into it and like putting on a future date yeah. on your calendar. And that, that's going to be the debt. Da, 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 that's going to be the day. You know, fuck all that. Fuck all that. Just go. Just do it. Right. That's what you have to do. Yeah. You can't be afraid. No. Yep. So what's, again, next, what's next for you? Uh, as far as like the, in my life? Yeah, <laughs> that or in business? Well, uh, what's most important to me, I mean, it's my, my family. I've got a great wife. We've been married 12 years. Uh, got two kids, um, nine-year-old little girl, five-year-old little boy. Um, what's next for me is just like um, devoting more time to them and doing stuff with them and um watching them grow and making sure they've got what they need. And, and, you know, that's what's most important to me now um, with my family, just uh, trying to keep that going, you know, at a high level all the time, along with everything else, which is hard. You know, it's hard to devote as much time. I think everybody wants to spend more time with their kids. Mm-hmm. If you have kids, yeah. everybody wants to do that, you know? So that's kind of my goals for the next few years. I think just in my mind is like, Hey, carve out more quality time with the kids, like be involved and do stuff with them. Like not just, you know, every once in a while, make my, make my son's baseball game, but like, oh, maybe I want to be a help coach the, the team or something uh, like that, yeah, you know, that kind of awesome. thing. So that, that I have to position myself to have the time to do that, you know? And so my goal in business that kind of relates to business is, um, I want to make sure I have the staff in place and the people that I trust in place at a high level to be able to take care of things in my absence. So in other words, if I'm not there, like, you know, at one of the gyms three nights out of the week or something, cause I'm coaching my kids baseball team or something. 
I want to have the peace of mind to know that things are going to be running seamlessly like I was there, you know? So it's, it, it's now just kind of positioning myself to become more of a mature business, you know, yeah. and have the people in place to keep things going well so I can reach my goals, which is more time with the kids and being more involved and stuff like that. Do you want your kids to fight or to at least train? Train. Yeah. Fight. I don't know if they want to. Yeah. I'm not going to tell them no. If that's something they're passionate about and they want to do it, I'm not going to tell them no. I would prefer they not be fighters. Yeah. You know, um, but training. Yeah. No, that's that's mandatory. Yeah, I, I saw that. So it depends, uh, man. Like yeah. Jamie Houston tagged y'all in something. Are y'all offering free lessons uh, for women? Yeah. yeah. So for the whole month of January, um, every Saturday at eleven, we're offering free women's self defense classes. Um, in fact, we had a class last week and had like forty women in it. Okay. Nice. And uh, yeah, and it's taught by um, um, one of our, our black belt female, mm. Christy Cook. Um, first uh, female black belt in Memphis. Oh wow, she's phenomenal, great coach. She's built an unbelievable women's program there. Like our women's program is probably the biggest in the South um, for ah, jujitsu. Wow. Yeah, and uh, she's built an awesome program there. So um, the whole month of January, free women's self defense classes Saturday at eleven a.m. Okay, yep. did my friend ever hit you up about that? Remember, she was looking for like somewhere to have a group go to. I think she did. She, okay. It, it was for uh, kickboxing, though, I think. Oh, okay. okay for kickboxing okay. class. Maybe yeah. it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a few months back, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I'm not sure if they ever came in or not, but yeah, I, I contacted her, though. She was talking about something about trying to get a group together as, as like a yeah. excursion or something. I was like, well, hey, this is what you need to do. It'll be fun for all you. Like a bunch of bag. Heck, yeah. Yeah. Welcome anytime. Yeah. Welcome anytime. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of my goal, just to, you know, to kind of finish up that conversation about uh, what are my goals with, with business or personal um, just trying to figure out this, this dad thing, <laughs> you know, which is a daily thing too. Um, you know, learn to be the best I can with that. But in order for me to do that, I've got to set my businesses up in such a way that, you know, that I can do that. Like, cause I'm, I'm at the, I'm 48, man. I, I don't want to be in the gym, you know, 14 hours a day, every day. Like I used to be, yeah. I can't, I can't be anymore, you know? Yeah. And what that takes is a great team. So, man, I've got a dude. I've got a great team. Great do you, team. Do you think you'll be able to let go of the day to day? Like, do you think you, over time? Because I know it's hard for you, probably. It is. You know, because yeah. this is your baby, also. Yeah. You know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, do you see yourself being completely removed ever from the gyms? No, no, no. Of course not. I'll always be involved. I, right. I, mean, I hope I can do this forever. You know? Right. Okay. This is, and, and that's my goal. Um, but uh, no, just just um, time management, number one, um, having the people in place, communicating well with everybody so they know what's expected of them. They know what they have to do, when to do it, things like that. It really comes to down to good communication with my staff. So if I'm like, hey, I'm not going to be there on these days um, during my son's baseball season. So on these days. This is what I need you to do. I need you to have an extra person at the front desk to help out with this. I need the the, the, the phone answer between these times, whatever, whatever it is. You know, I need this handled, that handled. Hey, if I forward certain emails to you from leads or whatever, I need you to handle this this way. Um, it's just, you know, me setting things up in such a way that I, you know, that I need to. So. Has cha- having kids like shifted your mindset as far as business and made you more driven or more like zoned in than prior you having kids? Uh, not necessarily for the business, but just more personal, like, uh, thinking more about the future and their future, mm-hmm. um, like financially, yeah. um, you know, making sure that, 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 you know, 
that set or trying to get it set as best I can. Um, but no, not necessarily with the business so much, just more the time management thing. Yeah. You know, that that's, that's the biggest thing because, you know, I, I, families that I see, like I've asked a few families that are like in my gym, um, the families that are like, man, their kids like are doing really well. They seem to be well adjusted. They seem to be like motivated kids. They're friendly, good manners, all those things. So I'll ask them, I'm like, Hey, what's the secret? All right. Because there's not a book on this, you know? Yeah. I'll ask them, Hey, what's the secret? And and I get the same answer surprisingly every time. It's like, just spend time, mm. just spend time with them. That's all they want is they want your time. Just spend time. No matter what it is that you're doing, just spend time with them. Yeah. And, uh, and so these kids that I see that become, that are well-adjusted, become good adults. You know, cause we've, I've, I've seen kids in 20 years come up through my programs, get to know the families and see them as adults and they're successful and do well, you know, and they're well-adjusted and nice people and stuff. And, uh, that's the thing that I hear is just, you know, from everybody's like, just spend time with them, you know, don't push them too hard. Don't neglect them. Don't whatever. Just be balanced about being a parent and just spend time with them. So being a parent, um, uh, that that's that's really what my goal is. Just trying to spend time, you know, with them. So I like that, man. Yeah. You have anything <laughs> to ask? Yeah, I was going to ask you. What do you think? What do you think? Your de- what is your definition of happiness? And are you there? It's a big question, Raul. It's a big question. I know. Um, definition of happiness. Balance. That's the definition of happiness for me. Balance, mm-hmm. right? Balance is, is important. Um, and I'll tell you why I say that. Life is dynamic, right? You got your personal life. You have your relationship with your wife, with your kids, with your friends, with, you know, uh, extended family, neighbors, right? Employees, Members, whatever, you know, you have your businesses to run. Everything's very dynamic. Right. And if one thing gets out of balance, like you, you, you give too much to one thing, all your time, energy, effort, whatever, to one thing, then something's going to give. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen guys pursue martial arts competitions or whatever, and they give so much to it and they become like these big champions, and all that kind of stuff. But then their family life sucks mm-hmm. and they go through divorces mm-hmm. and they don't know their kids and they whatever. And I've seen people who like give so much to the family time and all this kind of stuff that they're not on top of their business and job stuff and they lose jobs and all this kind of stuff. And then guess what? You're never happy because your life's out of balance all the time. Yeah. So for me, happiness is balance, you know, and trying to find that balance, which is again, a daily pursuit, find that balance. And that's hard, man. That's really, really hard. It's a struggle every day, you know, to find balance because, you know, you, you have things that come up that, that require your, your focus and attention and time. Right. And I've got to give that focus, time and attention to this situation right now at this moment. But you, you have to be able to to temper that a little bit right. with, and, and balance. So to me, that's happiness is balance. Am I happy? Have I found happiness? Yeah. 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 Contentness. I, being content, I think, is more appropriate. I'm content, man. Dude, right now in my life, it, I'm so happy to say, I mean, at 48 years old, um, my life is better right now than it's ever been in my entire life. Right. And awesome. I'm content. Um, I've got everything I need, everything I want. Um, I have no like need for more, you know, um, I, I enjoy 
my daily routines and daily grinds and the people in my life and my friends and family and everything, there's, there's, you know, there's challenges. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there's challenges all the time, but, uh, you know, I like that. I like challenges. So yeah. Nice. Contentment, contentment, contentment. Help me. Oh, you're asking the wrong person. Content, <laughs> contentment. You should listen to some of these episodes. Like it's like. <laughs> so uh, what's your advice for people and what mark do you see yourself leaving on the world? My advice for people. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I have a few answers to this? Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah, for yeah, it. yeah. Okay. Balance. Obviously it's number one. Um, Number two, as we talked about before, find your passion, pursue it, go, right? Um, Work every day on something hard. Do something hard every day. Do something hard every day. No matter what that is, whatever that hard is, do something hard every day. That might be a hard work, a workout. Doesn't have to be a hard workout, but a workout, right? Okay, you've done your hard thing for the day. That 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 sense of accomplishment on the daily, just little victories like that means a lot. Um, that could be you sit down for an hour and you study the newest you know, system that came out with Google Analytics. So you, you know, understand that better. It's monotonous and it sucks to sit there and drone through that and take notes on that or whatever. But if it's hard, but it's going to help you improve, and become smarter and better and whatever you got to do. Right. Um, do something hard every day. Just one thing, no matter what it is. Um, I think that's important for everybody at any age, do something hard every day. Um, I think number four, uh, advice wise I'd give to people, especially, especially young people is don't look up to somebody for their accomplishments. Okay. We, we get, uh, we tend to, um, to look up to somebody and like, make them a God because they are great at this sport or this activity or whatever. Look up to somebody for who they are, for their character, right? The people that I look up to are like my mentors. I've got some mentors. They're not like famous. They're not like, you know, whatever, but they're good people, man. They're good people like in their heart, like in their soul, in their heart. And, uh, they truly want to like be there for you and help people and, and, um, give you the knowledge they have. And, you know, um, so I'd say for young people, don't, don't idolize like people's accomplishments, idolize who the person is. Mm. Right. That's another thing. Um, you know, I'd say a, a, another good one, another, another big one. And I kind of alluded to this, you know, find mentors in your life, find people that are smarter than you in certain areas yeah. and surround yourself with those people. Right. And almost be like bug them, <laughs> you know, in a way um, like I've got those people in my life, you know, who I look up to that. I'm like, you know, they're like when I'm struggling in one area, like maybe I'm struggling personally. And this is the person that I go to because they always have the right answer or they try to give me the right answer because they really do care. And I feel it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that gives me that sense of comfort, gives me a sense of direction I need, whatever. OK. I got a person over here who's really good with like marketing, who's like a marketing freaking genius. Like they that's their passion. They love that. Right. And when I have a problem like this isn't working, I'm not this. I don't know what happened here. This thing's all jacked up. I go to them and they mentor me on that, you know, instead of just like telling me what to do or, or, you know, or doing it for me or whatever. They say, hey, think about it this way. Look at it like this. Let me make you aware of that. It's like one of those things where, you know, give a man a fish or teach him to fish, I guess, whatever. So um, so I've got different people in my life like that that I surround myself with and, and I probably bug them too much, you know, sometimes, but, uh, 
But, you know, I mean, it's like, um, you know, if you feed yourself with idiots all day long, right? It's like you feed yourself with bad food and crappy stuff. Well, then what's the result you're going to get, right? Yeah. But if you feed yourself with smart people and you feed yourself with like people with good character and balance and things like that, then that's what you're going to get. Mm. You know what I mean? So surround yourself with, 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 with the people that you would like to be more like. Mm. So that's good advice right there. I think that's probably the best answer we've ever got on that question. There's been a lot of good answers on that question, but I think that was like a really good one. What's it's your, worked for me. So. <laughs> what's your mark you want to leave? Hmm. Hmm. To be honest with you, I don't really care what mark I leave. That, that doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Um, just as long as uh, my kids and my wife and happy are, and fam, family are happy. Um, and, you know, they are safe and all that stuff. That's that's the mark that I want to leave is that legacy family wise to where. When my kids get older, you know how it is. Kids grow up or whatever, and they're like, yeah, my dad was never around. Mm. Or my dad, when he got angry, look out. Yeah. He was an asshole. I don't ever want my kids to to feel like that about me, right? Um, you know, I, I would like for, like, my great-grandchildren to be like, yeah, my great-granddad, this, that, and the other thing, right? And that that's for me. Yeah. What, what it's all about as far as the business goes or the martial arts or fighting, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't care. That doesn't matter to me. So. And my last two questions are, who would you like to give flowers to like appreciation to? And what do you think happens when we die? Man, you guys are next level with these questions, <laughs> man. <laughs> it's always a good way to, you know, no, I love it. I yeah, love it. It's yeah. great. I, I like the thought provoking uh, so the first question was, who would I give flowers to? Mm-hmm. Like just appreciation. Because, you know, we as people generally don't hear nice stuff about us enough. So they usually say we don't hear anything about us until like a wedding or a birthday or yeah. when we pass away. Yeah. So who would you like to give thanks to? My wife. My wife. Uh, bar none. Uh, been married 12 years, known each other for I don't know, 18, 19 years, known each other a long time. We start off as friends. Like okay. we were just, we were just friends. And so we built a strong friendship, yeah. you know, even before anything else. Uh, she's put up with me through all <laughs> these years. I mean, do some tough stuff, tough stuff. Like, you know, those 14 hour days, mm-hmm. like I ain't home. I'm just not there, you know? And, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's strong and resilient. And she, what I love about my wife is she, uh, she, Tells me things that I don't want to hear often, probably more than I like. <laughs> yeah. But but you know what? There's that balance, though, right? Mm-hmm. There's that balance. Because, I, you know, I'm feeling myself one day. I'm a little heady. She brings me back down to earth real quick, you know, and I need that. And that's good for me, right? That's good. So, uh, yeah, flowers for the wife, for sure, because she's a champion and she's a warrior and she's 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 hung in there with me. So it's yeah. always so nice, man. I've talked to her at the fights and stuff, you know, and yeah. like she's always been so cool and nice. Yeah. But tell her I'm the plug pretty much on anything when she makes a post. <laughs> she made a post uh, for Nintendo um, Nintendo Switch for Christmas. Yeah. Like, hey, I need to get a Nintendo Switch. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that, by the way. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Dude, no my doubt. son loves it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. It didn't, that one didn't come from me. Oh, it didn't. Uh, so she, when I, she, when she saw my message, uh-huh. she, she already found one from somebody else. But I found one at the, I, uh, I called my I got my guy to call the back room guy at oh, okay. Target uh, Wolf Chase. Uh-huh. I was like, "Hey, dude, 
uh, see if there's any switches back there. I need, I have a friend that's looking for one. Yeah. He's like, well, how good of a friend is it? I was like, it's a good friend. Don't worry about it. And he's like, all right. And the back room guy said there was one. He's like, I got one. One of the old school ones. No, and they said a switch. Uh-huh. And so like, I was like, okay, hold it. In five minutes, upload it to the website. That way I can buy it. And then dude, we just, I just did it. And then I bought it. And then uh, he was like, well, when are you going to come and get it? I was like, oh, I did, I did the pickup thing and all that stuff. He's like, okay, cool, okay. But hold on, you you bought it? Yeah, so that's the only way I could hold it. Wow, okay. So I got it, and he's like, you come and get this or what? I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. She, uh, she found another one. <laughs> so they released it. And they released it. Did they uh, give you your money back? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Because okay. you only they only charge your card uh-huh. when you're actually in the store picking it up. Wow, dude, Raul, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea about that. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, I'll let Candace know about that. Yeah, that is yeah. impressive, man. I'm the plug. I can find a lot of stuff, man. No, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's why I said to you guys are like y'all know fucking everybody in Memphis. And everybody knows you. Like I know if there's something I can't find or there's something I have a question about in this town, Raul, Tony, <laughs> no problem. I got you, Dave. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, the last question was, uh, what do you think happens when we die? Hmm. Hmm. I'm a Christian. And uh, we go to heaven. You know, if you've been a good boy or girl, go to heaven. Um, I, I mean, soul is a real thing. You know, that's a real thing that's inside of all of us. Um, being a Christian, um, I know that we go to heaven and I know that some go to hell. Um, I think that we're put on this earth for a reason. Um, I still have a lot of questions about my faith, though. Mm-hmm. I question it all the time. Um, you know, my father-in-law is actually a minister and uh, I've, st- I've known him for years and I still have a hard time bringing up, you know, talking about it with him a little bit. Um, that's one of those situations where, you know, I've got so many questions about um, Christianity mm-hmm. or any religion for that matter. Um, and, and so it's hard. Um, but that's where your faith comes in. Right. And I do have faith and, uh, I've seen crazy miracles happen and crazy things happen that shouldn't be. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things also where, um, you know, there's so many people that have come before me <laughs> and there are so many people in this world that are just, such smart, capable, awesome people who are Christians and devout Christians, right? And they're not stupid at all. Mm. And uh, and so, you know, one of the one of the things that that um, kind of solidifies my faith a little bit is, um, you know, and I've always kind of thought about this. Might sound weird to some people, but you know, somebody who's like, let's say they're a soldier in a trench and they got shells put around, you know. They're praying. Oh, 100%. Right. Or you're on your deathbed and you know death is imminent, mm-hmm. right? You're praying. You're injured really bad. Something really bad happens to a family member, right? Your child, your parent, your brother, your sister, something like that. You're praying. You're saying your prayers hard, right? Why? Why do we have that, that inner uh, need and that drive to do that, right? If you're not a believer at all, you do it anyway. You do it because uh, there you have faith and you have hope that that's going to make the difference. And for many people, that makes a huge difference in their life. You know, look at how many people are converted when they're in prison. They're prisoners. Everything's stripped away from them. They have yeah. nothing, right? Nothing. They have to turn to faith. 
right? And they be, they become anew and they become, you know, uh, sometimes when they get out, they become like really good people and citizens and witness other people and stuff like that. So, you know, it's been demonstrated time and time again, and I see it time and time again. It's like, a, you know, C.S. Lewis makes a lot of sense also with his writings. If you're, you know, reading anything from C.S. Lewis, um, he kind of breaks it down logically also. So, uh, yeah, I think you go to heaven, so people go to hell. That's a good answer. I'm going to heaven. I'm not Christian though, but I'm. I would go to heaven. I think. Dude, you went out and bought a switch for my child. <laughs> you got my vote to go to heaven, brother. Thank you. From a devoted Christian, mm. that's one, baby. I'm not going to say I'm devoted. I could be a lot more devoted, but yeah, yeah. Balance though. Balance, man. Yeah. Balance, man. Balance. Yep. So, where can everybody find you at, Dave? Uh, yeah. So, Memphis Jiu Jitsu mainly. Um, Highway 64, right across the street from St. Francis Bartlett Hospital. That's my main gym. Um, I'm, I'm there quite a bit, typically on Mondays, um, or at Memphis Fitness Kitboxing in Midtown, the Cooper Young District. Great area of town. If you haven't spent any time with Cooper Young, go to Cooper Young. Man, Cooper Young's awesome. We've, we've, I've been in business out there for 10 years now in Cooper Young, and it's a great community. Um, Great business association out there. The restaurants are awesome. So definitely come out there. Uh, in the Memphis Fitness Kit Box in East Memphis in the Yorkshire Shopping Center um, on Quince Road. and uh, Or in Littleton, Colorado. Or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Isn't that where Rod Bland, is he always what the one in? This one right here. Oh, he's at yeah. this one down here. He, he, trains at, he teaches at both of them. Yeah. But I think he's mainly at this one, I want to say. Mainly, yeah. Yeah, yeah but he, he teaches at both, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, he teaches. Teaches, yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know. He, I always saw he like, just checked in there. I didn't well, know he, he, used to be a, he used to be just like, like a student, mm-hmm. right, under um, Underwood. Yeah. And then he became like a teacher. Oh, like, that's he was awesome. teaching when I became a teacher. Yeah. Dude, he's a great instructor, too, man. Is he? High energy. He's got the best playlist. Really? I'll tell you that, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll shout him out for his playlist, man. I'm always when I'm ever in the gym and he's teaching. I'm just jamming. It's great. Yeah. So I've noticed something, a trend here. Your East Memphis, which is on Quinn's next to in Yorkshire Liquors, is next to Las Delicias, another great food place. Yes. The one in Midtown on Cooper Young is next to Young Avenue Deli, yes. another great food place. Yes. I'm getting kind of hungry talking about this. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your original location was next to CeCe's Pizza. Yep. Your Kirby Witten location was next to CeCe's Pizza. Yes. Oh, I don't know where your, your new location isn't next to anything. It was next to Target where I had to switch. Boom. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> I see the connection. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I got a Felosley is across the street. That's right. Boom. That's right. No, hey, that place is great, by the way. Oh, yeah. There yeah. you go. Fizzo- Boom. Love that place. Well, how do you say it? Fazoli's. You said Felosley. Oh. <laughs> the place I like, the, the place across the street, all of us, uh, the Greek rest, the oh, Greek yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is that called? Uh, I just ate there the other day. Um, it's awesome. I like that place too. So, well, we appreciate your time, Dave. Thank you for giving us your Saturday, your dude. Time. I appreciate you guys, man. This was a ton of fun. Um, it was an honor for Raul to ask me to be on here, man. Um, I see your podcast growing like by the day, like it's becoming more and more popular. And you got some really awesome guests on there. So, um, yeah, man, just honored to be here. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Candace, for allowing him to come to do the podcast because um, we know his honey to-do list is probably really long right now. She's got my apron <laughs> waiting on me at home. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, man.